You want to know who Fred Krueger was? He was a filthy child murderer who killed at least 20 kids in the neighborhood. Kids we all knew. Oh, Mom. It drove us crazy when we didn't know who it was. But it was even worse after they caught him. They put him away? Well, the lawyers got fat and the judge got famous, but somebody forgot to sign the search warrant in the right place, and Kruger was free just like that. What did you do, Mother? A bunch of us parents tracked him down after they let him out. We found him in an old abandoned boiler room where he used to take his kids. Go on. We took gasoline. Put it all around the place and made a trail of it out the door. Then lit the whole thing up and watched it burn. But he can't get you now. He's dead, honey, because mommy killed him. Welcome to the Ancient Slumber Podcast, show number 23. Fuck me, we're racking them up. Right, my name is Chris Ward, and guess who I'm talking to? <laughs> it's only bloody Myron Schmidt. How you doing, Myron? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm making well, things I, I'm up not as really, I go along. I'm not bloody, though. You could be by the end of I'm today. I'm not bloody yet. You could be. You very well could I be. I very well could be. So how's it going? Oh, it's going well. It's going well. It's going to get very heated, I reckon. Because we're going to be talking about the first four Nightmare on Elm Street films. Yes, yes, and, and, and a mixed amongst those is the infamous homoerotic one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a few comments to make about that one. I'm sure you will. I have too, and I'm not sure if our comments are going to match up. I'm not sure if they will either. <laughs> <laughs> but before we do that, we've got our usual stuff to get out of the way, haven't we? We do, we do, and I'm about I'm about to surprise you with one thing. Ooh, lots of surprises That's right. today. That's right. All looking forward to that. Well, before we do that, I shall say if you would like to contact us for any reason, if you love us, if you hate us, if you want us to go away, get us at ancientslumberpodcast at gmail dot com, and you can follow us on Twitter at ancient underscore slumber, and please do visit the website at ancientslumber.wordpress.com and please leave a review on iTunes if you feel we're worthy. Thank you very much. Right then. Five five stars, please. Five stars. Five stars. Well, I don't want to tell people how to vote, you know, not the way the world is at the moment. Well, that was subliminal. <laughs> yeah. Well, perhaps he... Did he get his presidency on iTunes votes? Facebook likes. Oh, I haven't heard his podcast, so I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> right. What have you been buying? 
What we've been buying. What we've been buying. Well, you know, I haven't been buying a whole lot. Okay. There's really not a whole lot coming out that's worthy. I did uh, head over to a used uh, bookstore, VCR, I'm sorry, DVD store. You went back to the 1980s, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Last weekend, mm-hmm. and I picked up, finally, a copy of Fright Night. Ah, the original. The original. On Blu-ray? I, I've never owned one. Uh, no. I don't know if it's out on Blu-ray here, to be honest. Uh, I don't know. It's coming over here in April. And I know it's out in Europe already. There's a Blu-ray. But, uh, hey, it was for eight bucks US, so why oh, not well. pick it up? I've never owned it. Oh, well, there you go. What a fantastic one to own. Absolutely. Yeah, we, cover, Absolutely. we covered that way back when. It's about our fourth show, I think. I, I had to rent it on uh, Amazon or Voodoo, one of the two. Oh, well, it's well worth it because it's such a fucking brilliant film. I, I agree. I agree. Yes. Oh, I agree. Ah, because uh, you don't think you've had it in the US. Um, the uh, documentary, You're So Cool, Brewster, came out here just before Christmas. And it's by the same people who did the Hellraiser. Really? Yeah, they did the Hellraiser Leviathan one. It's the same guys. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, fantastic little documentary. And I do believe yeah. that there's an edited version that's coming out on the new uh, Blu-ray in the UK in April. So uh, if you haven't seen it, then, uh, then you, now's your chance. Yep, yep. Hey, even crazy friend Eddie makes the rounds at the horror con. So I, my friends posted a picture of her next to uh, crazy Eddie. Crazy Eddie? Who's crazy Eddie? Evil Ed, you mean? Evil Ed. Crazy Eddie. Crazy Same Eddie. Thing. Fuck are you, what about? <laughs> it's, it's one of the, you know, used car salesmen over here or something like that, you know. <laughs> crazy Eddie. Come and get crazy Eddie's carpets. That's, is that racist? <laughs> is that racist? No. Oh, no, it is. It is. That's an impression. Over here, it's. It's Empire Carpets and fi- uh, something 2300. I can't remember the commercial. Crazy yeah. Eddie's Carpets, come get the bargain. It's not racist. That's <laughs> pretty good. That's actually pretty good. That might be a little racist. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference between doing an impression of someone and being racist? Uh, degrees. It's all a matter of degrees. <laughs> I'm spoofing a spoof of somebody advertising carpets on a foreign telly. It's not racist. Not racist. I assure you it's not racist. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh, right. Okay. Did you buy anything else? No, that was it. That was it. Right. I bought on Blu-ray, you'll like this one, John Carpenter's Vampires. Oh, nice. 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 Yeah, nice. it just got released over here with uh, Ghosts of Mars, and uh, I bought them both. Very cool. I'm mentioning Vampires now, because I may mention Ghosts of Mars a little bit later. Ah, okay. Okay, yeah. but uh, yeah, yeah, they released over here by uh, Powerhouse Films. Released them in a dual format pack with Blu-ray and DVD, and they always put a booklet in with interviews with cast and crew and all this sort of stuff. So uh, nice little package. Yeah, it looks great on Blu-ray. Really, really good picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, I love. I, I do like the Vampires movie, but God Almighty, in real life, James Wood is a dick. <laughs> is he? <laughs> he's, he's just an absolute dickhead. Yeah, he's one of them that. I'm sure he is. I've seen him tweeting a few times about political things and whatever, and I know a lot of there's a thing about actors doing that noise. So I don't really give a shit. I like his films. <laughs> you know, I mean, Sylvester Stallone's come out with his support for Trump. That's fine. That's up to him, and he's still my favorite actor. I don't care who he votes for. <laughs> you know. Oh God, not Sly too. Oh, Childhood Rude. Have you not Sylvester seen Sylvester? Fra- have you not seen Frank Stallone's Twitter account over the last few months? No. Fucking no, hell, not. you want to get on board on that, son. It's great. It's comedy gold. 
I love Frank Stallone as well. Don't get me wrong. I, I think he's great, but yeah. Oh. The Twitter feed is hilarious. Now, my favorite tweet about James Wood comes courtesy of Brad over at Screamcast. Yeah. All he said is, I'd wished Valak had killed him. Well, that's a bit, a bit harsh. No, 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 it's not. Well, he may be like Trust that in life, but I like vampires. I like him in it. I like him in lots of films. But, um, yeah. But there you go. That's it. It's John Carmen's Vampires. It looks good on Blu-ray. If you can pick it up, then do so. Very, very good. You know, speaking of vampires, I still want to read the book that that movie was based on. I keep forgetting about it. Yeah. Yeah. I did think about that when it flashed up on the screen based on the novel. And uh, that could be yeah. why. It's quite an uncarpenter film, isn't it, in his filmography? Oh, God, yes. It's well, a good film, but there's yeah, not many of is. his trademarks in there. No. No, there isn't. No, so, there isn't uh, at all. Maybe maybe reading the source material as well might uh, might improve the experience even more. So you never know. So you didn't buy anything else? I didn't. I, I didn't. Bloody hell. I did buy a King of New York steelbook, Arrow Video steelbook DVD. Oh, nice. It's nice. from about 2007, I think. It's before they did the Blu-ray release, but it was like, I think I paid three ninety nine for it. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's a two-disc DVD set in a nice little steelbook. It's a great film as well, if you've uh, if you've ever seen it. I uh, have noticed that uh, Best Buy over here is starting to carry more and more steelbooks with, uh, you know, pop art kind of uh, drawn on them. So it's, mm. uh, it's kind of picking up over here as well, which I'm glad for. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Apart from that, yeah, I haven't really been buying much else. I'm sure there is something I'm forgetting, but... Uh... No, I can't think of anything else. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. I go in waves. I don't usually buy much at the beginning of the year unless there's a lot coming out. Uh, so I'm trying to save a few pennies because March and April is going to be busy with our video releases. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. So, uh, never mind. Okay, well, let's move on then to uh, to some good, some bad, and some ugly. Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. Go on then, give us your good. So one of the weekly uh, radio shows I listen to at Midnight Horror Show, right? And one of the things they're doing is they're they're bracketing and going to come up with a champion of After Dark films, the, the original runs. Oh yeah, I saw you tweet about that. Yeah, yeah. I I have taken it upon myself as some sort of odd nicotine induced vision quest to watch every one of these After Dark movies, just the original ones. Okay, I've got one to go. So some of my bads and uglies and goods may or may not contain After Dark films because, mm-hmm. dear Lord, most of them are shite. <laughs> oh, they're, they're just horrid. It's what we specialize in. Exactly. My good one is an anthology in the Asian horror uh, vein. It is called Three Extremes. Oh, I own that. Yes. Have you seen it? Yes, I was a while ago. Uh, I can't really remember much about it. That's got the short version of Dumplings on it, isn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah. I haven't seen the full version of Dumplings. There is a full version as well. There is. I've not seen it either. I did see the short, obviously. And yeah. That's one weird-ass movie. <laughs> yeah, it's actually sat on the shelf behind me well, as I speak. And it's also got the last of them is uh, Takashi Miki, or however you say it. Miki. Miki, yeah. And he is... Uh, True weird ass form Mike. <laughs> but it's uh it's very good. Anybody who has Shutter in the US, I know for sure, you can see uh three extremes on there. I don't think it's on the in the UK Shutter yet. Do you have Shutter over there? Yes. How do you like it so far? I like it so far. Um I am a paid up subscriber, but the trouble I find is that 
I already own most of what's on there already. Yeah. So to me, it's it's handy if I really can't be asked to get up and get a DVD. Oh, I'll see if it's on Shutter. I'll just put it on there. I, I think it's going to get better. It's Shutter when it started out in the U.S. was a lot like that, where it was a lot of um, old school stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of good Hammer stuff on there. Yeah. Well, not here, but mm. um, as time has progressed, they've added a good blend of old and sometimes new stuff. They are adding all the time over here, and he's getting better. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, they got some good stuff going on. So just hang with it. I think it's going to get better for you. Oh yeah, yeah. Say five pounds a month, and you get a uh, you can watch whatever you like that's on there. So. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I did watch that uh, Ring versus uh, Grudge thing the other night. I can't pronounce their names. I can't remember what it is. Sudoku or something. But uh, I watched that one. That's on the Shudder. Yeah, yeah. I watched that too. I fell asleep. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Well, it maybe it was. Maybe I was just tired. But you know, it. Uh, I fell asleep. Oh well, it's gonna be like that. Right then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Three extremes. Yes, I should have to revisit that. It's been uh, been a while since I've seen it. It's very, it's it's very, very good. I was shocked at how good it was. I, I was really like, wow, okay, this is this is good stuff right here. I think I I bought it. I've got the Tartan DVD over here. I think I heard about it on the Mondo Movie podcast years ago, and that's when I bought it. Ah, okay, I got a lot you. of UK okay. listeners will probably know know that one. So uh, yeah, right. My good is American Gangster. Really? Yeah. Denzel Washington, Russell Crowe. I like a good gangster film anyway. And uh, yeah, I got a box set a few weeks ago called Ultimate Gangster Collection or something. And it's got like five films on Blu-ray in it. And this is one of them. And uh, I've seen it a couple of times before. And I liked it first time I saw it. Second time I saw it, I thought, oh, that's all right. And then I watched it again last week. And I thought, this is actually pretty fucking brilliant. Really? Okay. I've, I've seen it once. And, you know, I thought it was good. Yeah, I don't usually go for... Russell Crowe or Denzel Washington, they're not really sort of on my radar. I mean, Denzel's all right, a few of his films, but uh, I don't usually stand Russell Crowe. But, um, yeah, I just like this film. It's, you know, directed by Ridley Scott, and it's exactly what it is. It's about an American gangster, his rise to power and his ultimate fall. Yeah, exactly. Great soundtrack as well. The only movie I've ever walked out of is Gladiator with Russell Crowe. Really? What, you walked out of it with Russell Crowe? No, I walked out of it three quarters of the way through. It was that bad. I'm not a fan of it. I, I don't really get it. I've tried to watch it again on TV. Hmm. Yeah, it's not even there. It, it, nothing can help that movie as far as I'm concerned. No, I didn't like it. I just I don't particularly uh, get it. But there you go. Lots of people did. So exactly, exactly. Right. What's your bad film? As I said, this might be an after dark film. It is one called Perkins 14. It's nothing to do with Anthony Perkins. It has nothing to do with Psycho. This is Ooh. just a horrible, horrible, horrible movie. Never heard of it. Uh, well, don't watch it. Okay. This guy kidnaps kids, has 14 of them, and their sole mission in life is to protect this guy Perkins. And, well, he gets arrested and shot, and these kids break out of their cages, and there are these monster things, and uh, it's just bad. It's just horrible, horrible, horrible movie. Is it a recent one? No, it's 2006, 7, 8, somewhere in there. Okay. Anyone we know in it? No. Huh. No. No, it's... It's just a terrible movie, so don't watch it. Okay, I won't. <laughs> My bad is the aforementioned Ghosts of Mars. <laughs> what the fuck was John Carpenter on? I knew it was. I, I, I do. I do. It was coming in at bad or ugly. <laughs> well, it, it could be both, actually. <laughs> it's bad and it it's ugly. I don't even own that money for that. I own this because, like I said, a lot of 
companies are putting out John Carpenter films on Blu-ray at the moment. So I thought, well, yep. I may as well, once I put them out, I may as well collect them. I've got Christine, I've got The Fog, I've got Vampires, so I'll get Ghosts of Mars as well. And these um, Powerhouse Films ones, they are a limited run of about 5,000, I think. So once they're gone, they're gone. So I thought, well, I may as well pick one up. And uh, I've seen it before, and I didn't like How it. How much did you pay for it? Ooh, um, 14.99. That's not bad. That's all That's right. not bad. I say, with a double set with Vampires, it's, it's one, you know. Yeah, I, I've got to say, the Blu-ray picture quality is fantastic as you would expect the audio is pretty good on it as well if you've got a surround sound system what a shit film fucking hell <laughs> god i haven't seen it i haven't seen it in years i don't remember most of it i like natasha henstridge as most red-blooded males do in species who the fuck told her she she could lead a film ice cube is just fucking terrible in it he's not an actor come on he's a rapper he's a mini mr t who raps he's not an actor let me tell you. Yeah. Let me let me let me tell you. I watched a movie and I forgot about this. I could have put this on my list. I watched a movie with uh, D. Randall Blythe in it. That poor boy is not an actor either. Stick to photography. Stick to Lamb of God. You'll be good. Don't act again, please. Oh God. You say don't act, don't act again. I don't think he fucking started. Well, he tried. Yeah. It's just I don't know. You know Statham's in it. He's not very good in it. It looks like a TV set from Buck Rogers in the 21st, 25th century that's just been recycled. Are you sure it wasn't? <laughs> Probably was. Just been sprayed red and recycled. The dialogue is just <laughs> shite. It's just John Carpenter. I mean, all respect to John Carpenter. He's got a body of work he can look back on and be proud of. Apart from this, you know, <laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't. I'm not keen on In the Mouth oh. of Madness, and I'm and I hate Ghosts of Mars. To me, Carpenter's worst films. Don't like it. Yeah, I think so, too. Ghost to Mars. Yeah. Absolutely. Right, then. Give us your ugly. So this is another After Dark film, but I was excited about seeing this. I've never seen it before, but I did read the book, or the short story. Mm -hmm. It's a little one uh, authored by Clive Barker called Dread. Now, Clive Barker did (laughs) do the movie, and the thing about it is it's actually a good movie up until the very end. When the movie ended, I went, holy crap, really? It was... It was a pitiful, pitiful, pitiful ending. Absolutely pitiful. And it's not that it's different, per se, than the book or the short story. I mean, it is. But it's the fact that they didn't carry the dread theme through to the end. <laughs> in, at least in the short story, the theme of the story was dread, and they carried it up through the end. This one, they should have just called it Mast Craze Killer or something like that. Um, and it's for that reason that it made it on my ugly list. Okay. I have seen it. I saw it a couple of years ago. It was on the Horror Channel, but I cannot remember a thing about it apart from I didn't like it. Yes. I was okay with it. It was a good, solid movie through most of it, and then the ending. I'm like, oh, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) It just did, yeah. It completely ruined the whole movie for me. Yeah, yeah. I I remember not liking it. Right then. My ugly. What about you? What about me? I'm hearing random noises here. This is weird. Right. I've got two ugly, actually, but one is a sequel to the other, so I'm lumping them in as one. (laughs) Oh, God, help us all. What? Go ahead, then. Jeepers Creepers, one and two. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm putting these in ugly because... I'm going to get dark now. Now, I was looking... I was following a Twitter feed from Scott Weinberg, the uh, uh, critic, American critic, and... Yes. He put a thing out about... um, 
is it okay to watch Jeepers Creepers 3 when it comes out, knowing what we know about the director? Because if you don't know, the director is a convicted sex offender. Yes. So uh, I'll let anybody else go and follow the thread and make their own minds up on that one. But I thought, well, I've actually got Jeepers Creepers 1 and 2, which I bought before I knew anything about the director and anything like that. So Correct. And I bought them secondhand, so none of my money went to him, if that's what you're worried about, you know. So I thought, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll go back and watch them just as it's been a long time, you know. Maybe it'll put me in the mood for a, a Jeepers Creepers three or or not. Um, they're all right as films. They're okay. I didn't like the second one much. That's the one with the school bus, right? Yeah. And it's weird. This somebody on this thread said it's weird when you go back and watch this film knowing what you know, and there's lots of sheet scenes of sort of just young people in states of undress and things like that. And you're just... Yeah, shouldn't laugh. You get, a, you get a major dose of the creeps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's been to prison. He's served his time. You know, that's what the judicial system's for. So should we watch a Jeepers Creepers 3? I don't know. We probably will. Don't know. <sighs> I'm probably going to avoid it just based on Jeepers Creepers 2. <laughs> well, yeah. Even if he wasn't a convicted sex offender, <laughs> it's just the fact that two wasn't very good. But um, exactly, yeah. But the fir- I mean, the first one's a serviceable modern horror film, I think, with an interesting villain sort of thing in it. But I, I think so too. And when I saw the first one, I went, "This isn't bad." I mean, it's not super, but it's not bad. Yeah, sort of a director DVD sort of thing over here. It's okay. Um, but yeah, I put them in ugly just because of you know how they uh, <laughs> how they made me feel. So yeah, yeah. There you go. Are we ready? Well, you know, before we do that, let's uh, let's do a couple a uh, couple of shout outs and a couple of uh, other things. Go on then. I, I want to at least express public condolences to the Baz over at um, Podcast Under the Stairs. He's recently lost a family member, so at least want to acknowledge from Ancient Slumber Podcast. Uh, heartfelt condolences to Baz and his family as they they deal with their their family problems. Absolutely, not problems, but issues. You know. So I wanted to at least say that. Right. Let's move on to the main features. Which are Nightmare on Elm Street. And Nightmare on Elm Street. Let's play a trailer. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? We just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. Tina! There's a coroner got to say. He's in the jail and puking since he saw it. They're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy? There's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails... I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. No one will survive. Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. Right then, 
Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984, directed by Wes Craven, starring Heather Langenkamp, Ronnie Blakely, John Saxon, Amanda Wiss, Johnny Depp, woohoo, Lynn Shea, and Robert England as Freddy Krueger. I do love a little bit of John Saxon. Oh, you can never have enough John Saxon. That's right, that's right. Does he ever play anything other than a cop? Yeah, in Enter the Dragon he wasn't a cop. Bloody hell, that was John Saxon. Yeah, the one that wasn't Bruce Lee. I didn't even I didn't even put two and two together. God, I'm such a nerd. He wasn't a cop in Cannibal Apocalypse. Well, I haven't seen that one. No. That sounds like a classic. You know what I said? Oh, add that to your list. It's, it's actually quite good. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, Ex-Vietnam vets come back with a, a taste for human flesh, yeah. <laughs> it's got God John Saxon and... <laughs> Oh, the guy from all the Italian films, Giovanni Lombardi Radici, who you, you'll know his face when you see it. Okay. I think we've spoken about I him before. Yeah. Okay. okay. Oh, it's a classic film. Oh, God help me. Classic. <laughs> okay. This is what? We're in, eight, we're in 84 with Nightmare on Elm Street. Like uh, you, you mentioned when we were talking before, Slasher is a little bit on the decline. Yeah. We've had Chainsaw in 74, Halloween in 78, followed up with Friday. In 80. They're the big so boys, yeah. It, it, it's kind of interesting that, you know, here comes Wes Craven, and this will be the first of his attempted revitalization of kind of a slasher genre. Well, Wes Craven needed a hit at this point, didn't he? He did. He'd seen out the 70s with Last House on the left and Hills Have Eyes, which both have their merits. Right. But in the early 80s, I mean, he, before this, he did uh, Swamp Thing and Deadly Blessing. Right, both of which are... Well, I mean, Swamp Thing's worth it just for the Adrian Barbeau with no top on. <laughs> but it is worth just skipping the rest of the film just to get to that bit. And Deadly, oh, Deadly yeah. Blessing's okay. It's all right, but it's not great. It's no, genre, exactly. it's no genre classic. Right. So, yeah, Wes Craven needed a hit by this point. So, uh, And he'd been putting the script around for Nightmare on Elm Street for a couple of years before um, New Line Cinema picked it up. Right, right. So uh, Mr. Bob Shea from New Line Cinema, who we'll probably talk about him as we go through the series, but he saw the potential in the story and uh, even helped finance part of it himself. And what we're left with is essentially a mid-80s classic. Yeah, I mean, I've always said, you know, Hellraiser, I always said, was the, the horror game changer in the 80s. But I think before that, it was this. Yes, this, yes. This still had one foot very, very firmly in, in the slasher film. But... uh it was different because it had the supernatural edge to it. Yes, yes. I always liken the Nightmare on Elm Streets to the career of Kiss, where it's <laughs> okay. Where it started out as a very serious music venture. Yeah. And as albums wore on, it just became almost a. I hate to say this, don't kill me, Kiss fans, but almost a comedic family kind of thing. And we're gonna see. Freddy Krueger, as we go through this, follow the same kind of uh, story arc, if you will. I actually watched a documentary not so long ago about Kiss, and they were interviewing Gene Simmons, and he said that by the end of the 70s, he was noticing that the people coming to Kiss gigs were families. They yes. Were, they were children, parents, and grandparents. And he said, this isn't what we started the band to do. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I get that. I never really thought about comparing the two before, but yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street is very much the the kiss of the slasher genre. It it is. And 
I mean, I'll fight anybody who tells me that up until Love Gun, th- those were serious, hard-rocking albums. I mean, I grew up on them. They got me into metal. Uh, I'll fight anybody who says different because they are. Yeah. They still are, even to this day. Oh, I mean, Destroy is a great fucking album. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I thought about that the other night. I'm thinking, this is the kiss. As I was watching some Nightmare on Elm Street, so I won't say which ones, I'm thinking, this is absolutely the kiss of the slasher genre. Well, it is when you think about, you know, Kiss when it wasn't just the music. They, there was merchandise, there was cartoons and spin-offs and lunchboxes and T-shirts. And, and that is exactly what happened to Freddy Krueger by the end of the 80s. Yes. And dolls and a Mattel dolls TV commercial. Oh, God, yes. Oh, yes, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> quite painful. Yeah, I never, never thought about that before. Yeah. Yeah. So. But anyway, yeah, back in 84, it was a different story. Did you see this at cinemas? No, I did not. Oh, I thought you would have done. Nope. No. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. I saw Friday the 13th Part 3 at the cinema. Well, that was 82 or 83. Yeah, it? no, no, I did. I did go to the cinema for this one. You did? Ah, okay. I, I did. It, it's the 80s, the late 80s, the mid-80s are a little blurry for me. So. <laughs> well. You know, it's, you start college, you know. <laughs> it just, you know. Okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah, all right. Well. I saw this in about 1985 on video. Okay. I actually saw this when A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was coming out on video over here. Okay. Nightmare on Elm Street 2, we'll get there shortly, but it was quite heavily promoted over here when it came out. I remember the adverts on the telly and, you know, the newspapers were running competitions where you could win the video and all this sort of stuff, which I remember. And, you know, at that age, you're sort of latching on to things that are coming out the next best thing bear in mind i was probably about eight or nine and okay okay and i just remember seeing these trailers for a nightmare on elm street 2 and it was the trailer with freddie in front of barbecue with his arms outstretched you know you're all my children now all of that sort of thing and i was like wow this looks yeah yeah yeah. this looks brilliant you know because not long before that i'd been introduced to modern horror modern air quotes with american wealth in london so i was lapping up everything i could get and uh yeah, so me and my sister sort of badgered my mum to go and get a Nightmare on Elm Street 2 from the video shop because we wanted to see it. And okay. My, and I remember going in there with my mum and she asked for Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and the guy said, no, it's all booked out till next week. And she went, oh. And we were like, oh. And then he, he said, but I do have the first one in stock if you want to watch that one. So we said, yeah, okay. And yeah, bear in mind, okay. I'm eight or nine years old. I've said before, my mum's rule was as long as there's nothing terribly graphic on the box, we were allowed to watch it. That's right. That's right. So, uh, say so Hellraiser was the only one that fell foul of the parental ban. So, <laughs> in 1985, if, in a you nice, those the, those those BDSM bloody characters fell afoul of mom. I'm shocked. Yes, I know. But uh, like I said, my elder sister rented it not long after, so I saw it anyway. But um, yeah, so one summer's afternoon when it was bright sunshine outside and the birds were singing and all that malarkey going on. Me and my sister were shelled, holed up in our front room, curtains drawn, lights off, watching Nightmare on Elm Street. And it fucking blew me away. Yeah, yeah. I've often said, I mean, we spoke before when we did the Texas Chainsaw shows, that um, I've got a big love for the Texas Chainsaw as a franchise, and I'm the apologist for it. But if I was to dig deep, and watching them these films again now, because I haven't watched them for a few years, sort of rekindled it, I would say... If you ask me what my horror franchise of choice is, it's probably a Nightmare on Elm Street. Really? 
Wow, okay. In the late 80s, I was obsessed with Freddy Krueger. I had, I was the kid with the lunch boxes and the dolls and the gloves and the books and everything else. Up to a point, and we'll get there as we go through the films. Okay, okay. It's just, it's amazing. I remember back at the, at that, at that time that there were, you know, kid Fred Krueger Halloween costumes That's with the, 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 the knife gloves. And, and you think, oh, wait a minute now. I've, hold the, hold the phone. I've got an original Freddy Krueger plastic glove, which my dad bought me in Orlando, Florida in 1989. Nice. And I've still got nice. it. I can't get my hand in it anymore. <laughs> But, well, that's good. Yeah. I, I bet Donald Trump could. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> While he's wanking. But. <laughs> Anyways. Carrying on. Ain't my present. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, it's. Uh, you think, man, this is a child murderer in a movie. <laughs> We're making. Goofy-ass Halloween costumes. It, it, it got really weird from that perspective. Officially, he's a child murderer, but he was originally a child molester. Yes, originally he was, but they had to take the molesting part out. There was a court case in America at the time, I think Wes Craven tells a story, or told the story. Yes. So he changed it to just a child killer, which, you know. Yeah, well, and, and at the time that he was writing his script, we were just launching into the whole satanic panic phase over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there was any number of court cases of, uh, you know, daycares, ab- daycare abusing kids uh, in a satanic fashion. And it just got nutty. And so I, I've heard that story before. Mm. And I can understand why he did it <laughs> for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was obsessed with Nightmare on Elm Street. And um, I think, much like our friend Tom Elliott with his love of Hellraiser, if you ask him, he only really loves the first two. But he always watches them when they come out because it's Hellraiser. He likes the franchise. And I'm the same with Elm Street. I only really love the first three. And I cherry cherry pick moments after that. Um, I (laughs) I think as a franchise, Friday the 13th is better because it's more consistent. And I've got a better hit rate on ones I like compared to ones I don't. Oh, okay. But okay. Elm Street, those fir- I don't think I love any other film series as much as I love the first three Nightmare on Elm Street films. They will always gotcha. take, me, take me back to the 80s, back to being a kid, and just loving it. Absolutely loving gotcha. it. Gotcha, gotcha. Interesting, interesting. Hmm. It's um, This one creeped me out when I saw it in theatre. I imagine it would. I'd, I've never seen it on the big screen, but it's a very dark film. Yes, and it's, it's the opening scenes. Of, you remember when we did... Texas Chainsaw, That's and it. I I talked about the very first kill in the movie, mm. where it was just that that thud, and then the door closes. Yeah, how that just creeped me out. Well, it's that the knives, the noise of the knives on the boiler room pipes, mm. just kind of just creeped the shit out of me. Well, another chainsaw reference. If you go back to the Chainsaw Three at the beginning, you see him um, sort of doing stuff, maintenance and stuff to his uh, chainsaw. Which I think is very yes. much, very much lifted from beginning of a Nightmare on Elm Street, where you see Freddy making the glove. Absolutely, and Absolutely. I, I love films where the opening shot is like the killer doing something to his uh, his weapon of choice. I love that because it just sets you up. Yeah, it does. You're just like, oh shit, what's gonna happen? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, well, I mean, let's get into it. let's get into the film. Yeah. So um, you've got four main. Do we call them heroes? Are they heroes? I don't think they are really, but um, four main kids. Uh, we got Nancy, played by Heather Langenkamp. What yep. do you think about Nancy? 
Um, she's a bit annoying for being a, a heroine. As a character, she's quite iconic as a character. She's very yes. much, she's the, the Laurie Strode of the series. Yes, absolutely. Watching it this time, I always quite liked her. I've got to admit, though, watching it this time, Heather Langenkamp isn't very good acting in this. No, no. I understand why she got the part. She does look very, I suppose, what you'd call apple pie American. Yes, yes, absolutely. And a good a good part of her acting isn't, isn't bad, but we can all see in this movie why Johnny Depp went on to bigger and better things. Yeah. She gets better in later films. Yes. As a as a young actor, the boat shoe preppy Johnny Depp, I think probably far and above for me is is the best in the movie. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah. I suppose so. Um, I suppose he's the best by default because the other three aren't particularly brilliant. Right. Right. And, you know, it's um, we got a chap called he's credited as Nick Corey, but his actual real name is Jesu Garcia. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He plays Rod Lane, who's sort of the rebel of the four. He's yes, the leather yes. jacket, white t shirt, slick back hair with a flick knife. That's, that's right. So yeah, I can see why if between him and Johnny Depp, you can see why Johnny Depp went on to uh to bigger and better things. Yeah, yeah. He's the uh he's the Buddy Repperton. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't think of that, yeah. Although Buddy Repton was at least in his early 40s while he was still at college. <laughs> still still in high school, he was in his early 40s, my oh, He looked like the singer from a southern rock band. He looked like he was in Leonard Skinner. And yet he's supposed to be like I was 18. Gonna, I, I was going to suggest Man of War, but okay, we can go with the southern rock What is those big sideburns and that 70s fucking big hair, you know? Oh Jesus! Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. yeah. And we've got Amanda Wiss who plays Tina, who is Nancy's best friend. Um, I think she's pretty good, actually. She does well. They do. I, the, I, I think she does well. They yeah. do the psycho thing of sort of framing her to be the main uh, person, and spoiler, she turns out not to be. But um, I think she's pretty good, and she, she in that documentary, I did watch the Never Sleep Again documentary, which we'll keep referencing throughout. Um, she's pretty hot still. When it came out, I bought it, and somewhere along the line, I even have an official poster that came with the yeah yeah the uh, the uh, movie. I ran out of time. I was going to watch it, and then it just completely ran out of time. I'll I'll keep referencing it then. Y- you said, "Hey, let's record today," and I'm like, "Oh, sure, we can do that." I hadn't watched any of the movies. <laughs> So I had to start. I had to start a quick bingeathon, and then I had to take my son to the airport yesterday. So that was took up most of the all the afternoon. So it was a bit, it was a bit, uh, bit tough. Excuses. You've always got to be ready for Freddy. <laughs> Boom. So yeah, we got our four kids. They're all suffering from nightmares, and they all dream about the same person. Ooh. Yes. Who is that Ooh. person? Don't you know? Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger, oh, played by Robert England. Yes, yes. You know, we all, we've mentioned it in previous shows about, you know, horror actors who are associated with their character. I mean, we, I ranted a bit about Doug Bradley and Pinhead in the last one. Robert England, Fred Krueger, is there any difference between them? No, no. It, 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 he is Freddy Krueger. He is Freddy Krueger. He's fantastic in this role. Yes, he is. Absolutely fantastic. I knew, I knew him from V before I saw this. Absolutely. Absolutely. I saw this and I saw in the credits Robert England as Freddy Krueger and that didn't mean a thing to me. And then I just remember watching V afterwards and going, oh, that's the guy from Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, I can see it now. 
He's got very distinctive features. I, I did the same thing. I bought actually bought all of these, including the two new seasons, probably three, four years ago. And I was watching the because I remembered it as a, as a kid watching it on TV and loving it. Yeah. And I put it and went, oh, hey, there's Freddy Krueger. And he's playing a good guy. He's playing a character called Willie. Yes. Which is yes. a very rude word over here. Well. <laughs> Especially if you put it in the wrong place. <laughs> Yeah. So my solicitor yeah. keeps telling me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Robert England is Fred Krueger, who was, as we said, a child killer or molester, if you want to go down that route. He was burned alive by the parents of the kids on Elm Street, and now he's back haunting their kids' dreams, and he has a glove with razor for fingers. Yes, yes. Very scary individual indeed. And this was a, a, a serious movie when it came out. There, there's no... There's no comedic effect in this nope. at all. Although some, nowadays it almost seems like it, but when it came out, it was not comedic effect. It was all done for, for sheer horror effect. There isn't comedic effect, but I think there are a couple of lighthearted moments, and I think they come really from Johnny Depp's character. Yes. Who plays Nancy's boyfriend, because he's got a couple of uh, lines, just quips that he comes out with, which I think sort of add that, add that little bit of uh, lightheartedness to it. Yes, I agree. But there's not a lot of humour in this at all. The only the only big bit of humour that gets me every time is Ronnie Blakely's line delivery. Oh, really? Oscar-winning actress Ronnie Blakely plays Nancy's mum, Marge. She's fucking terrible. <laughs> she really is bad in this film. I don't know whether she's doing it deliberately or because she plays an alcoholic mother. She seems pissed to me. Yeah, maybe maybe she was. Maybe she was. But yeah, she's she's the uh, the down point. I think, in the cast. Um, and obviously we've got the legend that is John Saxon. Absolutely. Playing Nancy's dad, who is a cop. Um, her parents are separated, but they sort of both share the secret of what they did to Freddy Krueger. Yep. It's John Saxon with his marvellous hairpiece. What can you say? <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> Apparently when um, he came in to uh, start filming, he actually went up to Wes Craven and he opened a box and he pulled out two different hairpieces, one that was sort of slick black and one that was sort of old and grey and he said which one do you want <laughs> fantastic <laughs> oh I could just imagine Wes going oh for fuck's sake <laughs> <laughs> oh no he'd be a gentleman about it well yeah he'd be a gentleman but yeah <laughs> Bob Shea would probably said for fuck's sake yeah <laughs> so yeah um, so, yeah, so the main I mean the main draw of this film it's it's a slasher film but it's takes place in the dream world so there's a bit more emphasis on the fantastical but what i like about this film is that even though we're in a dream world it's still very grounded the fact that freddy still kills with his glove we haven't got silly fucking monsters or anything like that right um the fact that their dream world really consists of warped versions of places they already know yes and the boiler room where freddy took his victims and i love that and it, it it's something that got dropped in the sequels as they become bigger budget and more and more fantastical and all that sort of stuff. Yes. But I think Agreed. The, that's Agreed. the strength of the original is what makes it frightening. Because we've all, we all dream of places that we know and people that we know, but, and things are slightly different, you know, in your dream world. And I think that comes across very well here. I, I never thought about that, but that is a absolutely excellent point. It, yeah. It, it, is. It, it's, it, it's, it carries over into part two as well, which I like. So uh, after yeah. that, things get a bit different, but, um, I like the fact that it is very, very, I'll say grounded in reality, because it's not grounded in reality, but it's, you know what I mean? It's, you can relate. 
Well, yeah, it's it's a lot more real than, you know, unicorns and rainbows and then there's, you know, Freddy with, you know, his head on a unicorn body or some shit like that. That's it. That's it. So that said, the one kill in the film that does make still after 32 years still make me go uh, is Johnny Depp's death. It's classic. Is it? Don't you think Johnny Depp's no. death? No, I don't like it. Why? Because I, and I thought. Even as an eight or nine year old boy, I used to think bollocks. This is, he's got, the other deaths make it look like some, there was something done. You know, when uh, Rod Lane gets killed, it looks like he hung himself. Yes. You know, and, when, and, and when the girl gets killed, it, you know, it looks it like looks she's like, been, looks like she's been stabbed. Yes. When Johnny Depp dies, who goes into the crime scene and says, well, there's no body? No, well, there isn't a body. He gets sucked into the bed and a fountain of blood comes out. Yeah. So it always bothered. I, there is actually a cut scene of his body lifting back out of the bed and dropping onto it. Interesting. Which Wes Craven cut because he said he felt that once the geezer of blood had come out, he felt the scene was over. I, I guess I I always took it as kind of a, a foreshadowing that there is a a way that you can cross over between the two worlds and reality. You know the the other ones, the kills. I get. I don't know. To me, it's a, it looks, the kills are set up, so it looks, yes, they're done in the dream world, but they look like when the police come and investigate in the real world, it looks like an accident sort of thing, or looks like someone else has done it. Yeah. yeah Johnny true. Depp's death is the only one that nobody actually questions why there's blood everywhere and no body. Where's the body? Why is there a hole in the bed? Well, he's not in the bed. Where is he? Bodies don't just disappear. That's, that's a good point. Nobody questions it, and it just always bothered me that, you know, uh, John Saxon's character never doesn't walk in the room and go, right, show me a body. He doesn't. You're right. I don't know. It's the most iconic kill. What goes on the police report? Uh, blood on the ceiling, I guess. <laughs> Cause of death, blood on the ceiling. Yes. <laughs> and technically, if there's no body, there's no murder, right? Yeah, yeah. It's harder to prove, but yeah, you're you're generally correct. Yeah. So it just takes. It always takes me out. I wish Wes Craven had left that scene in of the body coming back out the bed. And, and if you watch Never Sleep Again, it is on there. They show you it. Okay. I, I gotta, I gotta watch that again and pay a little more attention. But yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I never considered that point. After all these years, I never considered that point. There you go. Look at you getting all deep and philosophical. You can, t- you can tell what it's a franchise I'm really keen on, can't you? That's right. That's right. That's right. I am the fanboy. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street, you look at it now. It's, I'm gonna hold off my rating for the moment, but it's not a, it's not a five star film for me. I think, it's very rough around the edges. Yes. In some agreed. places plays in its favour. Um, in some places it doesn't. Agreed. If you look at the, a good thing to do, if you've got the old VHS or an old DVD version, there are little things in it that aren't in the Blu-ray version. For instance, the scene when Freddy comes out the bedroom and the sledgehammer comes down and whacks him in the stomach. Uh huh. And he falls over the banisters. Yes. Yeah. If you've got an older version of that, you see him land on a mattress. If you've got the Blu-ray version, it's been handily snipped away, so you can't see it. <laughs> and I think Nightmare on Elm Street is full of those little things. There's just little... I don't call them niggles. I quite like it. I think it's part of the charm of, of the film. Um, but I think it's it's not quite video nasty level, but it's sort of as close as you could a mainstream film could get to that video nasty feel. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And as far as I know, in the UK, it wasn't cut. 
I know there were. I know he had trouble with the MPAA in America. Wes Craven did at the time, but as far as I know, in the UK, it's not cut. It's a great horror film. I think it still stands up, and I'll always love it. But on that basis, it's a four-star film for me. Yeah, me too. And oh, that's sorry. It's it's four sledgehammer to the rib cages whilst falling on a mattress for me. <laughs> it is. It is absolutely the same for me. It was. Uh, it is when you when you look at it. It is a lot. Um, very rough around the edges. Hmm. Compared to, you know, uh, dare I say it, the slicker production of Halloween a few years earlier. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, that's the, that's the difference. I mean, Carpenter and Craven are two filmmakers that are often compared, but I think that is the difference. So I think John Carpenter's much more polished than Wes Craven. Yes, yes. And, uh, and I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of both, but I've got to say, I'm actually probably more of a fan of Wes Craven than I am of John Carpenter. Ghost of Mars hit you pretty hard, didn't it? <laughs> No, I always have been, actually. I've, um, as much as I love John Carpenter's main body of work, up until they live, anyway. For me, in the 80s, it was always Wes Craven. Say, I got into Nightmare on Elm Street heavily, so anything after that that had Wes Craven's name on it, I sort of seeked it out. Ah, gotcha. And I know that Wes Craven is not as consistently good as John Carpenter was at that time. You know, for every Nightmare on Elm Street. Definitely agree there. Yeah, I mean, for every Nightmare on Elm Street or Hills Have Eyes, you get, you know, um, Hills Have Eyes 2 or Deadly Friend or something like that, which used to just, nah. (laughs) But Wes Craven is one of them. Exactly. When he hits the mark, I think he hits it very, very well. And like you say, I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, Last House on the Left, you know, they may not be brilliant films, but they are game-changing films, all of them. Yes, yes. And I would argue that, you know, even though the, the topic of Last House on the Left is is uh, disgusting and vile, I think the movie, except for the, the bumbling police music, is, <laughs> is actually is actually a pretty good movie. Yeah, and I think, I mean, what, up until... Very, his, very polished, very well done kind of thing. You know, I think up until his death, and Wes Craven used to say about Last House on the Left, that, you know, it, it, it it's not how we'd make a film now. Or right. Then, you know what I mean? But, um, you know, he was a young filmmaker who was just sort of throwing in everything into the mix and seeing what worked. Yeah. And I think yeah. by the time you get to A Nightmare on Elm Street, I think he's pretty much got it down what he wants to do. He's got down his style. And, uh, yeah, it's just unfortunate that after this, his next film was Hills Have Eyes Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> but he did. Ugh. He sold the rights to the character of Nightmare on Elm Street and Freddy and all that to Bob Shea. So uh, Bob Shea was sort of in control of the film after that, which is why Wes Craven didn't come back for the sequel, even though he was asked. The other thing that bugs me about Nightmare on Elm Street, which knocks it down a mark for me, is the ending. Yes, let's 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 talk about the ending. <laughs> I know where you're going okay. with it. Let, let, let's let's talk about the ending. Go on then. Oh, oh my God! So you've built up this full head of steam, and you got Freddy of the Real World. Okay, I'm on board. Mm-hmm. And then he gets killed, he gets sucked into the bed, and there's, you know, father and daughter looking on as Freddy goes down to hell or takes his mother with her mother with him or something like that. Best place for her, yep. Really? What? Oh, wait a minute, but it, there's more. And then all she does is she looks at him when he comes back and says, I, I take away all the power I gave you, and that's it. Well, for fuck's sake, why didn't she say that 90 minutes ago? Because she didn't realize it, I think. Oh, it could. Yeah, I know what you mean. It could have been done better. Um, I think it's that sort of sudden realization of finding inner strength to say, you know, I'm not prepared to put up with this. <laughs> I, I you know what? I, and I, I, I get that. 
Yeah, it could have been done a lot better. Yeah, yeah. It, it could have been done better. This this kind of felt like Wes was like, oh shit, we got to end this. Uh, he's driving on his car phone. He's got that the big bag phone with him. He's you know the top is down on his Mercedes and he's driving around thinking, okay guys, here's what we're gonna do. Go shoot this. And we'll call it an end. Well, they go into it in the Never Sleep Again documentary that um, Wes Craven had an idea for an ending. Bob Shea had an idea for an ending. Neither of them wanted to do the uh, each other's ending. Oh God! So they okay. came up with a compromise that included both their endings, and neither of them worked really. <laughs> I don't mind that bit about her turning her back on him and him disappearing. I I get that because I can see what they're aiming for. What I don't like is the little coda bit at the end when Nancy comes out the end of the house. Oh God! And they I drive off. They, they drive off in the most ridiculous Freddy mobile, and then Mom. Or it's a statue gets sucked through that little tiny window. Well, like, oh, it looks like a sex doll. <laughs> I know. The mum's turned into a sex doll and been pulled through a tiny window. I forgot about that little part. It's Ugh. it's a shame because up until then, A Nightmare on Elm Street is a fantastic film, and it's fantastic because of the potential of what you could do with it. Um, you know, and the fact that they couldn't come up with a good ending to such a strong film does let it down. Yeah, and I think I mean, it's so a you listen you listen to that interview with Bob Shea and Wes Craven, and they both say the same thing that it could have ended a lot stronger. And I actually don't mind the concept of discovering your own inner strength and all that kind of stuff. But if if that's the case, why doesn't Heather Langenkamp just come back in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two and say, "Here's what you do: just say I don't believe in you, I take away my powers, and you're done." They're they're almost building a franchise off the back of an ending. That tried to accomplish something not bad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I think the idea is there. I just don't think that at that time they yeah. managed to bring the idea out well enough. And I think maybe if you'd handed it to another writer to say, come on, fill in an ending for us, something could have been done. But, you know, it was yeah. a low budget film. They would, they had to get it out quickly. And I think it was just a case of, you know, say Bob Shade, Wes Craven, put their ideas together and say, right, here's what we're going to do. Let's just knock this out of the park now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. It, it, it having not refreshed my memory on the documentary, you certainly can see that yeah. as the end. You're like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. Here we go. Yeah, got it. And uh, yeah, I mean, even we'll get there in the next show, but they don't really rectify it that well in the remake either, which was was the opportunity to do that. No, no, they did not. No. So, but uh, but we'll get there. But yeah, so what? What are we both on four stars for this band? Both on four for that one. Bloody hell, we agree. Wow. But I think things might change now. (laughs) Oh, my God. Shall we do it? Let's do it. (laughs) Let's play a trailer. Someone is coming back to Elm Street. He is not friendly. He is not patient. Kill for me. And he is not a welcome visitor. No! 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 But he has something terribly special for the new kid on the block. It started to happen again. Dad! I'm in trouble. You've had some scary dreams, okay? Help! Daddy can't help you now. There's something inside him. is back on Elm Street. Get out of here, Lisa! Jesse, fight him! Watch out for him. 
will be in your neighborhood soon. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 2. You are all my children now. Freddy's Revenge. <laughs> A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, 1985. Directed by Jack Shoulder. Starring Mark Patton, Kim Myers, Robert Russler, Clue Gallagher, Hope Lang, Marshall Bell, and Robert England as Freddy Krueger. Ooh. Ooh. Right. As I said before, we went to the video shop to get Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and they didn't have it. So we got the first one, which me and my sister watched and we loved. And I think it was probably about a week later, we went back to the video shop and we got Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Yes. yes. And I watched the shit out of it. <laughs> this is this is a fun movie to watch. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple, this is a fun movie to watch. What, you want to give a little synopsis, a little backstory of how it's completely different than the first movie? A teenage boy is haunted in his dreams by Freddy Krueger, who is out to possess him in order to continue his murder spree in the real world. Yes. So yes. we're dealing with possession now. So Freddy wants to get into the real world to carry on killing people. And he does this by possessing Jesse Walsh, played by Mark Patton, who lives now in the house that Nancy lived in in the first film. Yes. Unbeknownst to anybody except the weird dad who knew there was some weird stuff that happened in the house, but nobody else in the family knows. Well, it's the old, it's the Amityville story, isn't it? Of why is this house so cheap? Yes, yes. <laughs> or it's the, um, which one of the Halloweens had the same thing where? Oh, they, they... uh, number six. Yes, yes, that's it, number six. Yeah, they got the house cheap. <laughs> Fucking cult of thorn. <laughs> <laughs> that still bothers you, doesn't it? <laughs> yes! Fucking cult of thorn. So yeah, so what the makers did with this one, before we get into the real the real <laughs> meat of the issue. So to speak. So to speak. <laughs> what they did with this one is they didn't really realise that Freddy was the franchise. Because there wasn't a franchise. This was only the right. second film. Right. So instead of making it about the Elm Street children, they made it about the house. Which let's look in perspective, Chris. How would how could they not realize that Freddy was the, the... Well, have you ever I mean, read, have you ever read the novelizations? No, no, I have. And in the eighties, I read the. There's a book. It's got the first three Nightmare on Elm Street novels in it. Damn, son, you you are ate up with this. I am the fanboy. Yes. And in the back of this book, they had a little bit at the end. It's called The Life and Times of Freddy Krueger, and somebody had. Had done a, a short story which is about Freddy and how he became how he was, and in it they said that Freddy was actually born in that house, that that house used to be a like a ho- a hospital or something, and that Freddy was born there. But we don't get that till much later. No, uh, w- well we don't get it at all because it's not actually in any of the films. It well, was, it was just in this book. Okay, okay, okay. You're right. You're right. We don't. Yeah. We don't. yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Based on that, if that was the way they wanted to go, make it a haunted house story, you could sort of see it. Yes. And if that's the backstory that the writers were working from, you can absolutely get that. The writer on this film was a chap called David Chaskin. Yes. We've got no Wes Craven. We've got no Bob. I mean, Bob Shea's still the producer, but he's not involved in writing. Director Jack Shoulder doesn't get involved in the writing. This is David Chaskin's story. And he's quite an interesting character because he's the one character in the Never Sleep Again documentary who finally admits the subtext of this film. Finally admits it? Yes. Okay, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to a quote from the great Rob Halford. Huh. If any of and I'm paraphrasing, if anyone didn't realize I was gay, they missed how I was dressing. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, Hang he on, I dress that. like Rob Halford. What are you honest? What are you saying? <laughs> With studded wrist wrist. I, I, did, and, I did in the eighties, mate. <laughs> well, who the hell didn't? Lemmy used to wear one, so I never had the peak. I didn't have the peak cap and the riding crop. But I was gonna say, (laughs) dude, he had a leather riding crop and a leather hat. Ironically, I I look more like Rob Halford now with my shaved head and my long (laughs) goatee. Finally revealed the subtext. Yeah. Oh, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I I would think that. um, But anyways. Let's say, let's there. say it. This film is about latent homosexuality. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we got the the new kid in town who has a little dust up during a softball game with a quote unquote big bully dude or whatever. Robert Russell. And that 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 dust up consists of uh, somebody getting pantsed, and rather than pull up his pants, he's just going to go ahead and fight the guy with his pants down. I mean, dude, really? <laughs> And that's not the least, um, <laughs> shall we say, homosexual piece of the film. No, yeah. no, we'll get to the most blatant one in a bit. I mean, but I mean, I, the film is about essentially an old paedophile possessing the body of a young man. Yes. <laughs> and nobody got it. I, I know. It, shall I tell just... you what? Shall I tell you what clued me into it? Other than the bare-ass wrestling. What? <laughs> This is true. This is as true as I'm sitting here. This is true. When I first saw this, when I was like nine years old, and I didn't realize that the whole film was all about that sort of thing. But there's one bit in this film. Nobody ever picks up on it. There's a line when the Lisa character is in the swimming pool and her mum comes out and she says, Lisa, honey, there's a Jesse on the phone. Now, I don't know about the US. In the UK, if you're called a Jesse, that means you're a bit of a wuss. No. <laughs> As in, you're a big Jesse. Uh, no, that's just a name here. <laughs> no, yeah, see, in the UK, if you're called a Jesse, it's like being called a sissy. Rick Springfield, sissy's girl. Ah, yeah. Okay. And, and I oh. always remember I was watching this film on video, and that line came on, and my dad was watching it as well, and he just went, in a slightly camp voice, just went, ooh, there's a big Jesse on the phone. <laughs> and... <laughs> And that sort of clued me in <laughs> so oh. what was going on, even at the tender age of nine. Yes. So it was. And you know what clued me in? It was not the bare ass wrestling. OK, I, I kind of went, OK, you know, was, was it the dance? It was the dance. I'm like, oh, really? Could it be any more blatant? Jesse does the dance in his bedroom to that song. That's right, with the with the wooden phallic object at the end. Yeah, uh, Mark Patton in the in the documentary actually says that that video of him doing that gets played in gay clubs. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's weird. It seems weird talking about it, but um, basically, the homosexual subtext about this film is that Jesse is in love with his best friend, played by Robert yes. Russler, and I am. I've yes. said before, I'm a huge Robert Russler fan. I love the guy. Not in that way, but anything that he's in, especially in, from the 80s and early 90s, I'll watch it. And, uh, yeah, he plays the best friend Grady. Jesse is apparently in love with Grady because at one point he runs over to Grady's house 
to get in his yes. bed. Yes, he does. And Grady even make, makes the line up. He says, there's a girl waiting for you in the cabana and you you want to sleep with me. Yeah, he does. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and at the time, and Mark Patton was an openly gay actor and, and he still is. And uh, so he sort of got wind of what was going on. I did not know that. Oh, my God, it makes so much sense. Did you really? Not, you didn't know that. I did not know well, that. Neither did Jack Shoulder or Bob Shea or anybody else involved with that making Oh, my God. Yes. Mark Patton was an openly gay actor. Well, you know what? Yeah. I have just added as we speak. Right now, I have added 0.5 to my score for this movie. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I, I did not know that he – oh, my God. That's brilliant. Holy shit. I love it. Don't you know what film he was in before this? No. It's got what a film? long title. Let me find it. It's something of like um, Welcome Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, something like that, which is a musical. Never heard of it. I, I thought you were going to say Cruise with Al Pacino. No. Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean from 1982. It's a musical. Oh my God, that just makes this feel more brilliant. Yeah. Oh, my God. Interestingly, Mark Patton also auditioned for the Johnny Depp role in the first film. I could see that. I bet he absolutely did. Yeah. I, oh, that's that's awesome. <laughs> it, oh my god, I love it. I did not know that, but it makes oh he did it. It was it, it makes it even more amazing. Right. Well, let's move on then to what I think is probably the most obvious um, case for this being a homosexual love story. Is let, uh, let, let let's um before you say that yeah I, I I don't know about England but in the U.S. this movie captured the sheer dick nature of PE teachers ah uh, yeah yeah that's oh, where I was, my, that's where I was oh, heading yeah God Almighty this movie captures captures PE teachers that I had in high school <laughs> well I hope not. Well, not in that way, but how they act, how they yes. dress. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, we have that here as well. Yes, I can remember back oh. to those days, yeah. And I, I grew up in Illinois. So in the state of Illinois, it's probably one of the last few states that does this. You have to take four years of physical education. and you, So in other words, you have PE every day for four years. You have it every day? Every day. Oh, we only did it twice a week. Mine oh, school. so th- th- this whole this – whole thing that they captured of how much of a dick those guys were Mm. you know and the only thing it didn't capture was you know the local gym teacher taping up the girls thighs for volleyball you know that kind of stuff oh my (laughs) god i remember walking into to pe class there was a, a young lady standing on a table and the male gym teacher was taping her thigh up for gym class so she didn't hurt it for the volleyball game Oh, right. Okay. And it's just like... <sighs> Did they stand and really? watch you while you were all in the showers? <laughs> um, Some walked around while we were in the showers. <laughs> there was none that stand and, and watched you shower, but they definitely walked around because we had two sides to the locker room. Yeah. So there was two shower areas, and they definitely made a pass through the, the shower areas to make sure. They had, a, they had a thing where you had to shower. Yeah. I have no idea where it came from, but everybody had to take a shower. It's just like the weirdest fucking thing ever. It gets weird when they get in with you, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Mine didn't. Let me just clarify. They didn't. I was joking. 
Mine didn't either, but you know, <laughs> and I shouldn't, I, sh- I shouldn't laugh because there's some stories of some, you know, pedophiles who used to have um, recliner chairs in the boys' locker room. Really? So, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. now, uh, you know, they, there's some really, really sad stories about that kind of stuff in the U.S. Oh, so, uh, but yeah. On that cheery note, we'll talk about <laughs> we'll talk about Coach Snyder. Let's talk about Coach Snyder. Coach Snyder, played by Marshall Bell. I like Marshall Bell. He's always a good character actor. If you don't know who he is, he's in Total Recall. He's the one who's got the mutant growing out of his stomach. My God, yes, he does. Porto. Yes. Yes, that's exactly who he is. Son of a bitch. Yep, you're right. And he, he makes a few good comments on that Never Sleep Again documentary as well. And uh, but, but he, he played the creepy gym teacher perfect. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He got the look down and everything. And... Uh, Yep, he, uh, Jesse goes to a, uh, an S&M bar. <laughs> is served a drink by Bob Shea, dressed up as Rob Halford. <laughs> yes. Circa Defenders of the Faith. <laughs> with those leather arm guards with full studs on <laughs> Actually, on that documentary, Bob Shea tells the story of going to buy an outfit, and he went to an S&M <laughs> shop, and he took his two daughters with him, and he was told they had to wait outside. <laughs> and it was them that picked out the, the outfit for him. So, yeah, and uh, Coach Snyder is in this bar and he takes Jesse back to the school and proceeds to make him run round the uh, the basketball court there, which is which. Oh, it's not fine, but it, it it's nothing. It's not too, fine. It's not fine, but there's no sinister <laughs> wrestling going on. And uh, well, what what gym teacher catches you in a bar and takes you back to the school to run laps? <laughs> I mean, that, come on, that's the setup. But it, it's while Jesse's running those laps. What's Coach Snyder doing? He's getting the skip. He's getting the skipping rope out the cupboard. I, the filthy swine. <laughs> out of everything, the guy takes out a jump rope. He calls it skipping rope. Yeah, yeah. Sets it on his desk and smirks. He does. Is he puts it on the desk? He just sort of gives he a little. Smirks. Oh. And then he gets hit in the face by balls. <laughs> but not those balls. We know that Freddy's somewhere. He essentially gets teabagged. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> teabagged by Freddy Krueger. <laughs> uh, let's be honest. No, he but, doesn't. All the balls, <laughs> are the, the tennis balls and baseballs start flying at him. Yes, but but here's where it starts to go off the rails even more than that smirk with the skip rope. So imagine you're a, you're a young man in high school who's been caught in an S&M club getting served a beer. Hang on, let me just remember that. Yeah, go on. Yep, your gym teacher catches you and makes you run laps and then says hit the showers hmm. now had that been me i would have been in and out of the shower and under a microsecond so you there's no way so hang on Myra, you would have actually got in the shower no my hair would have got <laughs> in the shower okay let's be honest i i i might have just left at that point but you know so he, he goes in to have a a, a luxurious shower a bit of a scrub with, down well, with a S&M gym teacher is getting out the jump rope thinking to himself, you know. <laughs> you know, well, maybe that go for a little skip. Oh, God. And then hilarity sets in. Hilarity sets in as the steam in the shower fills the room. <laughs> and <laughs> Coach Snyder gets dragged into the shower by two skipping ropes. <laughs> Which we can't see who's pulling them. We don't know. It could be. We don't know. It could be Al Pacino in his uh, cruising gear. We just don't know. <laughs> and he gets tied up into the showers. His clothes ripped off. 
and out appears Freddy <laughs> from where Jesse was just stood. <laughs> Jesse by name, Jesse by yeah, and yeah, he gets Coach Snyder gets a bit of a whipping on his <laughs> on his bare buttocks. Quite why oh. Freddy wants to whip him on the arse, I do not know. Because <laughs> he's never done that in any of the other films. No, no, he hasn't. He, he was always such a quiet man. He's never done this before. And, yeah, he, then Coach Snyder gets a razor across the back. But when the smoke clears, it's not Freddy wearing the glove. No. No. It's Jesse. So then Jesse. proceeds to, back on our theme of Rob Halford, then proceeds to scream the place down. That's right. Oh, my God. In a scream that would probably make Jamie Lee Curtis a bit envious. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's a weird scene. And like I say, if you watch the documentary, everyone on it says, I had no idea this was good. This was I, I, I couldn't see any homosexuality in this in this film whatsoever. They must have been the last uh, 20 or so people in the world to pick up on that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. It's a weird scene. It's a weird scene. Um. But what it's doing, it's setting up the notion that uh, Freddy is using Jesse to yes. kill in the real world. Yes. So, yeah, much hilarity ensues after that, really, as, like I said, there's a big pool party. Now, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, for all the flat that it gets from people, does contain two of my favourite scenes in the whole series. Okay. Do tell, do tell. And the pool party is one of them. Now, I'm probably going to get pulled apart for this one, because most people, most uh, hardcore fans hate the pool party scene. Why? Because it doesn't fit with the rest of the series. It doesn't fit with the mythology. Why is Freddy in the real world? Well, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Why is he in the? It, he's supposed to be in the dream. Why is he there? Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I don't and know. it makes no sense in the actual story because Jesse's getting it on with somebody in the cabana, and but Freddy can't get into the real world unless it's through Jesse. So what? Again, why is he there? Well, let's let's go let's go back to the. Um... The, the whipping of the coach's ass. Well, if you must. <laughs> when we see the jump ropes, we don't see Jesse. The assumption is Freddie mm. is doing it, right? Yeah. It, it seems like they're starting to extend that Freddie can manifest in the real world if Jesse's there. But in the pool scene, Freddie's not invisible. He's there. He's physically there. And in the scene after the pool scene, which is my other favorite scene, we see how Freddie gets into the real world. Fair play. So it's misplaced in in the chronology yeah, yeah, yeah. of the film. Yeah, yeah. Had the pool scene come after the Grady scene, the Grady's bedroom scene, then it would make a bit more sense within the film. Okay, because, because fair play Fre- Because Freddy's in the real world then. But we see him in the real world, but we don't see how he gets there. Then we go yeah. to another scene and see him come into the real world. It doesn't make sense. I, I, I love the pool party scene because... Oh, I love it. Yeah. You know, the... the uh, Mom and Dad go up to have a little little shag, and the yeah. minute, the, the very microsecond, second, the light goes out, the music comes up, <laughs> and they pull out a little red wagon full of you know cores and some other kind of beer. And yeah, just like oh god, because parents fall you know. asleep the very second the light goes out, don't they? And they won't hear it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I like this scene because I think in the whole series, this gives me the Freddy Krueger I want to see. Because Robert England, I'll say it now, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is my favourite Robert England performance. It's my favourite Freddy. It's my favourite Freddy makeup. I think he looks the best in this film. And okay, okay. 
like I said, watching, you know, in X-Men, the latest X-Men film where I said the best scene was when Wolverine woke up and went apeshit. Yes. Yes. That's what this to me. This is Freddy unchained at a pool party full of teenage kids and he runs fucking riot. That's true. That's true. And I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think it's brilliantly choreographed. The makeup's brilliant. You know, and at the end, it's quite chilling when he's, I know it's, it, people might laugh at it now, but he stands there and raises his arms at the end and says, you're all my children now. It's just like, yeah, that's Freddy. That's the character. That's true. That's Fucking true. Fucking evil. Evil Freddy. That's we like true. evil Freddy. That's true. The other scene that I like comes after this is it's when Jesse goes to Grady's bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it because of that. Oh. What we get is Freddy coming into the real world through Jesse. Yes, yes. And I think the makeup for this, the special effect, it still looks fucking brilliant. You know, I, you can tell it's a dummy, Jesse. We know that. But the actual moment where you see Freddy emerge from Jesse's stomach and he throws the, Jesse's skin off his back and he stands up and he puts the hat on and just looks at Grady. The music that's playing in the background then, because uh, the music was done by Christopher Young, who, who scored Hellraiser. Okay, so okay. If, if you listen to the music and that shot of Freddy just standing there looking at him, Fucking brilliant. I absolutely love it. Yeah. And that is, that's terrifying. That's scary. Um, the only thing I don't like about that scene is the fact that you don't actually see Grady's death. You see the blades go f- from the other side of the door. And if you think about it. I rather like that effect. I rather like that effect. If you think about it though, the length of the blades through Grady's body, they wouldn't come through the door that much. Well, oh, yeah, probably. Not. <laughs> maybe it's like Wolverine. They can grow a little bit. I don't know. Well, maybe. Granted, the fact that you can see the claws go through the body, through the door, and then move downwards through the door shows you the force that Freddy's using to kill. Yes, yes. I love that scene. I, I love that shot of Freddy just climbing out of Jesse's skin and just standing there and say that music, that big pounding music. It's terrifying. Yep, 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 yep. Agreed. Still, probably my favourite scene in the whole series, I'll actually say. I'll have to reserve that for later. Because I haven't seen the latter ones yet. Oh, you're in for a treat. I bet I am. In for a treat. So, yeah, so that's basically the story. Uh, so Freddy's possessing Jesse. Some more kids die. Jesse's got a girlfriend. <laughs> girlfriend. Called Lisa, <laughs> played by Kim Myers. I quite like her in this film. I think she's pretty good. Yes, I do too. I think I think Absolutely. I actually I prefer her to Heather Langenkamp, to be honest. Yes, I, I think she's a much better actress. Yes, she's a better actress. And I like the character of Lisa as well. I think she's quite a strong... Uh, character yeah obviously got a boyfriend who's who's not as into uh, her as he is into his best friend but there you go that's yep yeah you know that's right i think we'd be doing this film a disservice if we didn't mention clue gulliger yes who plays jesse's dad brilliant just brilliant he's so hilarious (laughs) he's he just shouts a lot does diy badly around the house and fends off (laughs) the the freddy bird I forgot about the the parakeet that went. The parakeet. <laughs> it's like dive bombing. The parakeets don't just explode in midair. You know what he uses? The goddamn cherry bomb. <laughs> oh yeah, Clue Gulliger is fantastic in this. And if you do get to see the Never Sleep Again documentary, he's in absolute fits over the gay subtext thing when they talk about this film. You know, oh. he, he says he's just upset he didn't get a blowjob on the set. Telling me that the only two people that were in on the, the the gay subtext was Mark Patton and the director. The director wasn't in on it. It was the writer. 
the writer. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. So the only two people who knew this at the time when they made the movie well, were, Mar- were Mark Patton and... I don't think Mark Patton actually said he knew it at the time. I think it was just he clued, got clued into some of the stuff that was going on. But David Ch- David Chaskin says yes, the gay subtext was always there, and all the other people that they interviewed, like uh, Jack Shoulder and uh, Robert Ruster and all that, were just like, no, I'm not getting this at all. <laughs> I I I just think that is absolutely awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Freddie goes out in this film. He gets burnt in the boiler room, which sounds painful. Yep. Quite a fitting death, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he died by fire in real life, so he, he died by fire again. Uh, and it's the love of Lisa. This ending was certainly better yeah, than the first. One. More coherent than the first one. Oh, yeah. I also wanted to mention the opening scene of this film with the school bus. <laughs> yeah, I love the opening scene. Um, if you notice very carefully, more obvious on the Blu-ray, it's Robert England driving the school bus without makeup on. Yes. I never knew that until I saw it on Blu-ray. And uh, yeah, I love okay. that scene when the bus goes in the desert and Freddie appears. It's again, you can't see his face; you just see his shadow. It's just brilliantly framed, brilliantly lit. Fantastic. Absolutely. So we ready for a score? Ready for a score. You go first. Well, I raised it a half because Mark Patton is an openly gay actor that I didn't know about. It makes this movie more awesome. Okay. 4.5. Wow. Okay. I'm going to say my rating for this has always been and still is four. I don't know why, but that that thought of him being an openly gay actor doing this just absolutely made my day. <laughs> I just think it's I, for whatever reason I think it's just brilliant I think I love this film and I'm going to say this now this is my favourite of the series I haven't seen the, the 5 through 8 okay. so I can't comment No, okay. though I'm pretty sure it's going to be my favourite the thing with it is every time I see it hmm. every time I get to watch the shower scene I laugh and I just I, I laugh for 5 minutes it, it, <laughs> it, it's just it's that clever. The biggest complaint that you'll hear about this film is that it doesn't fit in with the rest of the series. Uh, it doesn't fit in with the mythology. And and David Chaskin says it himself in the documentary. He says there was no mythology. This was the second film in the series. Yeah. yeah they hadn't yeah. set up the rules, so to speak, in any right, definite right. way. So in that respect, they're free to go where they want. Yep, yep. But the fact that it's not connected to the rest of the series, really is why I like it, because if I fancy watching a Freddy film, I haven't got to watch one and then go, oh, I need to watch the next one now. Right, right. I can just put this on, and it's like a standalone film. Standalone Freddy film. You know, every every series has their sort of standalone film. You know, Halloween 3, you can watch, and you haven't got to watch 1 or 2 or 3 or 4, you know. Yeah. Friday the 13th Part 5 is another one. Where you can just watch that one and not bother with the rest. And, uh, yeah, Elm Street 2 is that for me. I think, like I said, Robert England's my favourite Freddy performance here. My Freddy favourite makeup. Freddy's still evil here. He's not cracking yes. jokes. He's not cracking yes. one-liners. Yes. Yep. 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 You're, he's still quite scary. He's say that opening scene where he's just a shadow and he's walking up the bus slowly. It's just brilliant. And when he's at the uh, the pool party, the Robert England's just the facial expressions he's pulling while he's hissing at people as he's gutting them is fantastic. And say that scene where he steps out of Jesse's body is just. The highlight of the series for me. Yeah, I know why people hate on this film, and I'm not going to disagree with anybody who says they don't like it because of, you know, the gay subtext and because it doesn't fit the rest of the series and this, that, and the other. Blah, 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 blah. That's fine. I still like it. I still have fond memories of watching this back in 1985 on video. 
And yeah, yeah, yeah. it is my regular go-to Nightmare on Elm Street film if I just fancy watching one, you know? Yeah. It doesn't get the full five from me. I haven't got, I don't think it's that good a film, but it's more nostalgia than anything, but it is, it's my go-to Elm Street film and I'll just, I'll always love it. It, it's certainly got a five in the entertainment value of the movie. Oh yeah. As again, like the first, it's a little rough around the edges. There are certain bits that, you know, yeah. nowadays would be tidied up or maybe cut or, you know, there are certain bits that I think, you know, but on the whole, it, it, it's a, like you said, it's damn entertaining. Acting's good. Yeah. Acting's good. I, I mean, Mark Patton's a bit patchy in places with his line delivery. I don't think he's particularly strong lead. I think that's probably what weighs the film down a bit for me. You know, I know yeah. that they yeah. wanted to go with a male lead because they did a female lead the first time. That's fine. I'd rather have had Robert Russler in the lead role, to be honest, because I think he's a much better actor. But then they, gotcha. wouldn't have, they wouldn't have got away with the gay thing, I think. Yeah, it's just, it, it, for me, they captured the gym teacher. And it's, it's, although hilarious, it's also very satisfying to see the sadistic prick get killed. Oh, you know? if you ever got bullied in PE at school, then yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right then, so we've put Nightmare on Elm Street 2 Freddy's Revenge to bed then, so to speak. So let's move on <laughs> to a Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Let's play a trailer. Street 3 Dream Warriors from 1987, directed by Chuck Russell, starring Heather Langenkamp, Craig Wasson. Brought to you by Don Dockin. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, starring Heather <laughs> Langenkamp, Craig Wasson, Patricia Arquette, Ken Sagos, Rodney Eastman, Bradley Gregg, Lawrence Fishburne, John Saxon, and Robert Yes. Alright then. Love a bit of Lawrence Fishburne. Or Larry Fishburne, as he was here. Yes, yes, but so, survivors of undead serial killer Freddy Krueger, who stalks his victim in their dreams, learn to take control of their own dreams in order to fight back. Okay, now. That's right. So so here we get the idea that, hey, Heather, why don't you just come back and tell them they have powers in their dreams? Oh, that sounds like a good idea. Oh, I'm detecting from your tone that you don't like this film very much. Uh, you know, actually, I do. I, I do like it. It's... um. I, I think it's a, a, a very well done film. This film sets the template for the rest of the series. Yes, yes. Whereas before, yes, it does. I mean, that said, part two doesn't connect to any, the, any of the other films in any way, apart from the house. That's the only connection. Right, right. So this is probably more of a sequel to the first film. It, yes. I mean, if you're going to look at a direct sequel, 
I, I love the comparison you made about uh, part two being the Halloween three of the series. Absolutely, I agree. And yeah. this is this is more of a direct sequel than than number two was. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, they sort of. I think the makers, Bob Shea and uh, everyone else involved, sort of discovered that part two, even though it did well commercially, especially in Europe, it critically it didn't do very well. I think there were a few grumblings and moanings about it. So right. I think for this one, they they got a, Wes Craven's back on board as a writer. Uh, along with Bruce Wagner and Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont, who's a name that we know. Yes. And I think it's important to note that the tone of this film is a lot lighter than where we've been before. Here we start to see for the first time Freddy kind of starts to take weird shapes and do goofy stuff. The dream logic comes into play now, and it's what I said before about I like the first two films because the, the dream world is still something you can relate to. It still looks like, you know, it still looks like their back gardens and the police station and all the other places they go to, but there's something slightly off. And I think that plays better in in the whole, um, you know, what's real and what isn't thing. Agreed. This film's that we start to get proper dream, uh, like a dream universe, really. And it, it's sort yes. of, it's based on Freddy's boiler room, but it's expanded. So there's all sorts of pits and things sticking out the walls and chains and and it, as you move through the, even the next film goes particularly uh, it, with the chain scene a bit hellraiser yes yes so but we're in we're in what, what is essentially supposed to be freddy's dream world now uh the filmmakers have obviously got a bit more money so they can play with a bit few more things that's right that's right this film has a very great scene though which i love which is um the very very first time we see freddy at the beginning of the film we've got patricia arquette okay but, playing um Kristen, our latest sort of uh, lead. She's running along, she's got a little girl in her arms, and she gets stuck in some goo. And you just see Freddy running up behind her in slow motion, and he swings his claw at her. And you don't see his face, you just it's in shadow, but you can see him. And he's right, in slow right. motion. As he swings the claw, the, the film speeds up to regular speed again. Yes. I fucking love that shot. I think it's brilliant. It's it is. It's a very good shot, and I think it tells you that this film is still in the same universe as as we've been in before, particularly the first film. But things are a little more, like I said, lighter in tone, a little bit more accessible. I, you know, it's it's funny the the scene that kind of clued me in that that things potentially might go south after this movie because I enjoyed this movie Hmm. is the the scene with the kid with the glasses. I am the wizard master. Yeah, I am the, <laughs> I am the wizard master. He's got a cape on. He, you know, the fire out of the fingers, the whole nine yards. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a good movie so far, so it's probably going to end a good movie. But man, that's going to go south after this. Mm. See, I'm glad you picked up on that because my big problem with the Nightmare on Elm Street three, and I do like a Nightmare on Elm Street three, is the first half of it is proper Nightmare on Elm Street. Like I said, we're in, yes. the, we're in the same universe as we've been before. Things are slightly look better, look better lit, better polished, but essentially we're in the same place. The second half of the film loses it. It loses that momentum. And I think it, it's that sort of begins with the Wizard Master thing. You were laughing about, you know, Marshall Bell getting his ass whipped in the last film. I think the Wizard Master is more absurd <laughs> yes. than that. Oh, God, it's absolutely 100% more yeah, it go, absurd. It, you know, the character will, in his dream, he is, he's the wizard master because he's, he's a Dungeons and Dragons player. 
And um, yes, he's got a big Harry Potter cloak on with a big collar sticking up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, it's it's got, it's got hints of the old uh, satanic movies of uh, Hammer yeah, years yeah, gone yeah. by. And I think you know, to paraphrase Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I yes, think just because yes. they've got the budget to play with and they can do these more elaborate dream things, I think it comes off as goofy. And what, what you, do you think it was a sign of the times? Possibly. In terms of the, yes. Uh, of the of the goofiness, because a lot of the big franchises get goofier as the time goes on. Well, I mean, I mean let, let's look at it in context. This was 1987, so the slasher boom was over essentially. You know, the dark yes. gritty slashers. We're now in an era when Films like Evil Dead 2, Reanimator, uh, you know, the, uh, what's the, uh, what's the guy called? Frank and Hooker, those sorts of films. <laughs> Frank? How could you forget Frank Hennenlotter? Hennenlotter, that's you, it. Do, do you not remember when I laughed for five minutes straight on an unaired podcast <laughs> about I do. the penis with legs? I think I have that recording somewhere. <laughs> yes. Oh my god! Well, well, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe get there one day, but. I referenced Frankenhooker because it was an era of those films that had yes. lots of those types of special, practical special effects. Right, right. With the hair, with the hair of, you know, with a, a big side of cheese. Yeah, and Nightmare on Elm Street three revels in that sort of thing as well. Revels in that sort of thing as well. And yeah, like I said, the dreams before were based on a reality, and I think here it, we're closer to that line, that fine line between. Reality and Goofy and Nightmare on Elm yes. Street 3 is just the right side of that line, you know, and it'll step over that line as we go along. And yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 starts off well. And I think Wes Craven had probably given up by the time they get to the end of the film. And I think, I think, yeah. I think he handed in a treatment for the first half and then right, said, right, you guys make up the rest. <laughs> make up they did. And it, it doesn't end particularly strong. No, 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 it doesn't. I mean, although, although I do quite like Freddy's death in it. it, it me too, me too. But again, it's it, it's kind of uh, it's almost like uh, somebody phoned it in for the freeway. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it sets up these dream a bit. It goes a bit like Hellraiser two sets up the Cenobites and then wipes them out within a couple of minutes. And I yes. think <laughs> this film sets up the Dream Warriors and then proceeds to wipe them all out pretty quickly. Yeah, yes. Well, not all of them, because some of them survive. Yeah, some of them do. There's one death in particular which always takes me out. Always, I always complain about it whenever I watch it. And it's the first death of Philip, the guy with the puppets. Yes. You know, Freddy cuts his veins out and he dangles him like a puppet and all that. And I think it's a really cool death. What gets me is the fact that in his dream, Freddy is guiding him by his veins through the hospital. And he goes yes. through the locked door. He just walks yes. through it. In the dream, that's fine, but he does it in real life as well. Yeah, that's true. In the reality, you, they're looking at him walking across the corridor and he just disappears through a locked door. That wouldn't happen. In the film logic of dream and real world, that wouldn't happen. And nobody questions how he got through a locked door. Yeah, I guess it's the, the Johnny Depp scene of this movie. Yeah, it is. There's just something illogical about it that if you're trying to set it up that he was sleepwalking and he slept, walked up this tower and walked off the top, that's fine. But you've got to make the setup plausible in the real world. Right, 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 and right, right. That death doesn't, and it always irks me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, 
least for the first four, I'll got to give it a little bit away, but this is kind of the marking for me of where things go south. Okay. You know, you kind of, you, you get it in the, 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 the tail end of the movie when, you know, I am the, the magic master comes up, but <laughs> Harry you Potter. get it. Yeah. When Harry Potter shows up, you're like, cause I think up until then, you're right. I mean, it's maybe illogical, but it's a solid, almost not really huge. There's no, no Freddy humor in it, but then as it goes on, it's like, oy vey, what happened? Yeah, he starts to get the one-liners in there. Yeah. yeah. But like I said, it's just the right side of, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not goofy. Yes, yes. You know, yeah, it's lighter in tone, it's slightly humorous, but it's not goofy. Yeah, I, I agree. The, we, we only served a thin slice of cheese in the first half. They just gave the whole wheel in the second half. Yeah, the second half, like I said, they've built up this mythology with the Dream Warriors, and I like the cast of kids, and I like the characters. I think they're all pretty well written. We tend to know what each kid is about, and I like that. But somewhere, there's just a point where the film sort of stops, and then it just becomes generic slasher towards the end. I agree, I agree. It's also noteworthy that there are a couple of deaths in this film where Freddy doesn't use his glove, and I think that's, again, it's it's a telltale of where the series is going to go. Yeah. Yeah. Freddie should use his glove. That's his weapon. That's his, that's his deal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and the other thing, when I'm thinking about it, one of the deaths is Jennifer, the girl who wants to be an actress. Um, she dies by Freddie picking her up and ramming her head through a TV screen. Yes. Now, when her body's discovered by Max, who is the Larry Fishburne character, yes. why doesn't he say, because the TV is suspended off the floor. Yes. There's no way a teenage girl can get herself off the floor and use enough force to ram her head through a thick TV screen. And make that kind of destruction. Yep. And make that kind yep. of destruction. Because it's an old style telly with those really thick curved screens. She's, you know, not a basketball player hype person. Nope. And, and that's, it kind of takes you out of it because you're thinking, what the hell? Now, how did that happen? <laughs> and I, I, yeah. And I know this is a not an Elm Street sequel and when you shouldn't be, you know, going through it too much of a fine tooth comb. But like I said, it, it's those little niggles that you just think, just because you can do that effect, it doesn't make sense in the story. Right, exactly. And and I think, to your point earlier, I think the Johnny Depp body scene works within the context of the movie a lot better than some of this latter-day cheese effects works. Mm, I think the effect works, but I, I think thematically it still doesn't work. It just doesn't make sense. Okay, okay. Fair play. But I know, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the the effect still looks more real-worldly than having, like, a rubber body or anything like that, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah, I know what you mean. But, um, yeah, so anyway, Nancy helps the Dream Warriors combat Freddy, which she does. We've got the little subplot of her dad, played by John Saxon again, digging up Freddy's bones so they can be consecrated. Yep, um, yep. So we get, we get a little bit of stop-motion Freddy skeleton, which uh, looks pretty poor, actually, on Blu-ray, but it's it's quite fun. If you, if you remember those old Ray Harryhausen films. Yeah. Well, you know, and I watch it on, you know, probably a, a you know, a combo DVD. So the clarity is still grainy and it works well if you watch it on old format. I've got to say the first three Nightmare on Elm Street films do look really good on Blu-ray. Oh, I bet they do. Yeah. I bet they do. They do. But the fourth one, not so much, and I'll get there. But yeah, the first three do look really well. Yeah, it's a nice looking film, this I like it. I like Chuck Russell's direction. I think he's pretty solid. Apparently, he wasn't very nice to work for. Really? On the documentary, because it was his first film. Oh, God. So okay. apparently, he was a bit of a taskmaster on it. Yeah, yeah. 
But I think the results are there. I think on the whole, it's generally an enjoyable film. Yeah, I do too. I do too. It could be the one I've seen the most, actually, because I watched the shit out of this when it first came out on video. Okay, okay. On that basis, I give this one a four as well. Oh. Because I do enjoy it. I, I dropped down a little bit. I gave it a 3.5. Still enjoyable film. I'd recommend it to anybody, but yeah. Yeah, just, just you know, down a little bit. Yeah, and I think if they'd stopped the series here, it would be probably one of the best horror series. Ever. I mean, it still is. I mean, these three, the first three Elm Street films, I, I do adore them. I do adore them. And like yeah. I said, I saw them when I was young, and I got so into Freddy, and I was massively into this film. I read the novelization before I saw the film as well. And the novelizations are slightly different. But, um, yeah, I like Elm Street 3. I think it's a good film. There are niggles, which I've said about. Doesn't really hamper my enjoyment that much. We get our first bit of nudity in the series with the topless nurse. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh. ooh you bet we do. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, do, you, do you like my body, Joey? Mm, well, I certainly fucking did. <laughs> Especially at that age when I first saw it. I enjoyed it several times. <laughs> Several times in succession, because you can when you're young. <laughs> Not now. Interestingly, on the Never Sleep Again documentary, there was a, a scene originally that nurse was going to turn into Freddie um, with the top half being brought by England's face, and then she was going to have a pair of tits. Why did they not do that? Because it, it looked stupid. It did. They showed the footage in the film. It was she was going to have Freddie's head, and then it would be the nurse's naked body. Um, it just went, uh, yeah, they said it just looked too weird. And <laughs> even for a nightmare, yeah, it does look fucking I got you. I, Especially I got as you. it would have had to have been Freddie's voice coming out of her as well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and we also get the, uh, Dokken soundtrack as well. Yes, Don Dokken. Yep, yep. Yeah, they're on the documentary as well. Because <laughs> Don Dokken says he can't hit those high notes anymore. But this was, again, one of the first examples of, of a, a mainstream film getting a big metal soundtrack. Yes, yes it is, yes it is. You know, they'd fuck all that up with the next one when you get the fucking fat boys. Are you ready for Freddy? Oh, God. But, um, oh. yeah, on the whole, I like A Nightmare on Street 3. It's a yep. solid, solid four for me, and uh, it's always a joy to rewatch it. Absolutely. Right then. So now, 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 now then, now then, then now, now, now then, then, then now. New territory. I had never seen number four. Until Saturday. Well, let's play the trailer and then we'll do the uh, the details. Do you know what terror is? Hello. Do you live here? Nobody lives here. Real terror. How long has it been since you've been on Elm Street? Welcome to a brand new nightmare. He is the first in fear. Second to none. Don't let them put you to sleep. He has no mercy and no evil. Now no one sleeps. Get ready. This August, 
your wildest dreams will come true. How sweet, fresh meat. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 4. The Dream Master. Right then, A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master from 1988. Directed by Rennie Harlin. Starring Robert England. He gets top billing this time. Yeah. Rodney Eastman, Ken Sagos, Tuesday Night, Brooke Bundy, Kristen Clayton, Danny Hassel, and Lisa Wilcox. That's right. Now I want to I want to pause and comment on on Rennie Harland. I didn't check his filmography for timetables, but now listen. Now this guy's got solid solid movies. Cliffhanger. Yeah. Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. John Lithgow. Decent movie. Mm-hmm. Die Hard Two. Great movie. Yeah. Deep Blue Sea. I like that movie. Yeah, not bad. The Covenant? Yeah, it's all right. I don't think I've seen that. And, and then he did, wait for it, wait for it, a foul footage movie called Devil's Pass. I saw that in our local pound shop the other day. I love that movie. I picked it up, just looked at it and went, nah, put it back. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. But, so, I don't know where this comes in his filmography, but, you know, this guy, at least... This was his second film. That makes sense. His first film was called... Uh, prison, I think, which has got uh, Vigo Mortensen in it. Okay, okay. This it shows. Uh, but man, he went on to have a great career. Holy shit! So I'd never seen this one before. Okay, well, let me just read the synopsis and then we'll get into it. Freddy Krueger returns once again to terrorize the dreams of the remaining dream warriors, as well as those of a young woman who may know the way to defeat him for good. Returns. Yeah, and how does he return? Do you want to know where this movie just lost me? When the dog pisses on him and resurrects him. The dog pisses, pisses fire on Freddy Krueger's bones and resurrects him. The way I understand it is, Freddy Harlan was asked, how are we resurrecting Freddy? And he basically went, uh, I don't know, a dog pisses on him. And they stuck with it. (laughs) Oh, God. Now listen, I have seen a lot of pure shit resurrections because we did the Halloween series. Yeah. But a dog pissing? I, right. I, I have. When I saw the dog pee on the grave, I started reaching for my phone. I'm like, oh, God. Okay. Chris is going to make me watch this, isn't he? <laughs> oh. It, it completely took me out of the movie. Right. I'll tell you where I am. I saw this when it came out on video. Okay. At the time, I was the hugest Freddy Krueger fan there was. Okay. I love Dream Warriors. This came the following year, so it was quite close behind it. At the time, I loved this film when I saw it, when I was like, what have I been, about 11, 12, something like that, when it first came out. Um, okay. I liked it. I didn't love it as much as I loved Dream Warriors or Nightmare on Elm Street 2, but I always liked it. And over the years, every time I've watched it, I've just gone, this is quite bad, isn't it? <laughs> this was the point. When I saw it originally, where I think my interest in Freddy had started to wane a little bit. I can understand that. I read the novelization when it came out. I had a book which had this this and the next film novelization in it. Did the dog pee on the grave? I can't remember, to be honest. I haven't read it since 1988. Uh, (laughs) I can't remember. Oh, God. But, yeah, I always felt that this was more like a Nightmare on Elm Street film put together by committee rather than... A proper sort of cohesive story. Yeah, yeah, It yeah. feels... I don't hate it. I'll go on that. I don't hate it. But it feels very... Like they didn't know where to go after Dream Warriors. 
So, and you know when you've got a band who makes a series of albums and each one is like a progression from the last? Yes. And then they have a run of a couple of, they hit a point and then they have a couple of albums that sound similar. Yes. And, and that's when you start to go off them a bit. Yes. Yeah. I was like that with Pitch Shifter. And yeah, that's what Nightmare on Elm Street 4 is to me. And I, at the time I remember thinking, well, I'll see what the next film does and then we'll go from there. But I think I started to discover Friday the 13th around this time. Well, you have you have one child titled The Dream Warriors and the next one titled The Dream Master. Yeah. So, I mean, you know that they were reaching for something. I they were reaching for something. And they missed it. <laughs> you know, the remaining Dream Warriors from the last film, spoilers, it's Kristen, Joey, and Kincaid. They're all killed yep. off within the first half an hour of the film. Which, which is a, another one. How stupid. Yeah. I, I mean, if they had kind of, kind of, Dog piss aside, if they kind of tried to keep those characters because everything they accomplished in the last movie, they just kind of pissed on and said, oh, fuck you, we're just going to kill them off. Really? Yeah. Really? One thing I did think of last night when I watched this last night for the first time in oh, probably about six years. First time I watched it on Blu-ray as well. And one thing I thought of is if Joey, Kincaid and Kristen are all friends and they all go to the same school, which they do in this film. Yes. How come they had, didn't know each other before part three? No and if the Dream Warriors are the last of the Elm Street children, i.e. their parents lived on Elm Street and killed Freddy Krueger, why didn't Nancy know them until she met them in part three? Because she lived on Elm Street. Yes. Why didn't they all know each other? How fucking big is Elm Street that the kids don't know each other? <laughs> Apparently had wrong side of the tracks, maybe, and, you know. Well, I don't know, but, you know, well, in Elm Street 2, it ends and it goes off into the desert, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. I just thought of this last night. I thought if all these kids grew up on the same street and all their parents supposedly got together and killed this paedophile, why don't they all know each other? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway. There, there's a there's a an action movie, and I can't remember, where there's a, a carryover character that they kill, like, within the first two minutes. Oh, there's loads like that, yeah. It's just, it's that same frustration, like, really? Really? Well, it's like killing off killing off uh, Adrian King's character at the beginning of Friday the 13th 2. Yes, yes. It's just, really? You know? Yeah. You survived them once, but you can't do it again. Yeah, with all these honed Dream Warrior powers, because they seem to pull each other in and out of dreams like it was, uh, you know, going down to the McDonald's for a Big Mac. Well, they interview Ken, uh, Ken Sagos on that on Never Sleep Again, and he says that he was he thought they were going to have a bigger role, and he said to his friend, his friend said to him, "Oh, we're going to go and see your new film, Nightmare on Elm Street 4. And he said, "Well, well, you may as well go after the first five minutes because I'm not in it after that." I it, yeah, it was it. So let's recap from a new new viewer's point of view. We've got the dog pan, yeah. and we've got the main characters who are these. Super Dream Warriors from last time killed off. Yeah. Oh, God. Really? <laughs> so we get a new cast of characters. Yes. And I will say, Alice, the leader of them, played by Lisa Wilcox, I think she's the best thing about this film. Yes, absolutely. She and, well, is you know good. What? You know what? I, I, let me let me recap that. I, she definitely, acting-wise, is the best. Acting-wise, character-wise, she's got, she's got a character arc. She starts yeah. as one thing and ends as another. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I agree. think I, like, I think she's a better character than Nancy in the first one. Yes, she's probably on a par with uh, Lisa in the second film. I think. But but the thing is, the the last sequence just becomes so goofy. Yeah, they've introduced 
in the third film, they introduce Freddy's mother into the equation. Yes, yes. And so now you've got this whole backstory of Freddy being born in the mental asylum, which well, I'll, I'll tell you now, a little spoiler, it pays off more in the next film. But yeah, in the third film, they set up, they give Freddy more of a backstory. And then in this film, we've got Freddy showing that the souls of the children and all this sort of stuff. Yep, yep, yep. Um, that he's powered by the uh, souls of the children that he kills and, you know. Yeah, they're expanding, the, they expanded the mythology and I don't know, it just, it feels like we're not in the same place as we were three films ago. Agreed. Robert England is still fantastic as Freddy. He's still brilliant. Absolutely. He's obviously having fun with it. His makeup looks really good in this film as well, we'll say that. But we're not, we're, we're over that line that I said that goes into goofy territory. We've stepped over it now. I think we've pole vaulted over it. Well, no, we, uh, well, I'll tell you now, we've stepped over it compared to where we're going to go. Oh, God help me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I, what I like about Robert England is he played a great, serious Freddy, but he plays an equally great, goofy Freddy as well. He's having a ball as goofy Freddy. I always, I've always said that I think Robert England is, is my generation's Vincent Price. He, he can do those serious roles and he, but, when he wants to chew the scenery and go goofy, he can do that just as well. Absolutely. Um, it's just unfortunate that when you see him do it now, all you just think of is Freddy. You know, if you, have you seen his, have you seen his version of Phantom of the Opera? No. That no. he did. Oh, from 1989. He did it after he made this film. Okay. Great film. I really like it. I think it's a really good film. But in it, his character gets burnt in the face and becomes the Phantom. You just think, huh, Freddy. Huh. He's just, he's just Freddy with a Phantom mask on. I, I gotcha. Okay. It's a great film. If you can catch it, yeah, it's a really good film. But that was that was the trouble around this point. Freddie was coming into the mainstream. This is the point where we're getting the uh, the books and the comics and the lunchboxes and everything else that comes with it. Yeah, yeah. And the dog peeing. And the dog pee that brings him back to life. Yeah, again, it makes no sense. As a film, it, 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 like I said, I don't hate it. It's okay. It's reasonably entertaining, but it's just it's missing something. It's missing. I want to say it's missing a soul. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. just feels very... At the end of Dream Warriors, you sort of watch it and sort of go, yeah, I enjoyed that. That was good fun. You, you have a bit of a sort of fist in the air and a yell moment. And I think in this one, I just watched it and just went, that was it. That was a thing. There we go. <laughs> so I, I got to ask. Yeah. So we have we have the dog peeing resurrection. You love that dog let, peeing resurrection, don't you? Let, let's compare that to Halloween 5. Resurrection. Uh, where which one was that? That was the that, hobo. That, yes, where he f- uh, falls asleep for a year. Falls asleep for a year and doesn't shit himself. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Yes. It was, was, uh, no beard. No beard. No bodily fluids for a year. What? Well, again, it's that whole thing of setting it in a reality. And Elm Street sort of gets away with it a bit more because you've got the dream logic. So you can say, well, in a dream, a dog can piss fire. There's no reason why it should, but it does. But still. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Oh. But I, I say Elm Street gets away with more than Halloween and Friday the 13th do because everyone just, we just say, well, it's dream logic, isn't it? Or illogic, <laughs> yeah. as you may be. Yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. Um, but yeah, it is, it's, it, it doesn't feel thought through. And I know that Rennie Harlan had to beg Robert Shea to give him the job because um, Robert Shea really didn't want him to do it. And... I think it just feels like a 
he's written down a bit of an idea on the back of a fag packet and gone, here's what we're going to do. And that's exactly what they've made. And it just doesn't, yes. feel, it doesn't feel complete. It feels like it needed another six months of pre-production. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. To really it's, flesh uh... it out. If you'd fleshed it out a little bit more, then I'd go along with it. But the time I mean, is... they, go on. they've, as- they've assembled the pieces. Yeah. They've got, it's, it's they've got a solid, a solid character with a good arc. They've brought back some of the, the superheroes from the previous film. And yeah. when they put it all together, they just kind of, ah, fuck it. We'll just do it this way. It's yeah, easier. There it is. It feels like it is pandering to the mainstream a little bit. It's fairly, it's lighter in tone than part three. It's not lighter on the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray was really dark for some reason. Really? The DVD prints a lot better than the Blu-ray. I'll be darned. This, I, I wonder if this is geared towards almost more families than it is horror fans. Cause you know, you never take your kids to the first two movies, but you might take your kids to this one because it's just so damn goofy. Well, yeah, I mean, it's still over here. It's still rated 18. It, it's R here, so, you know, you you can't. But I mean, but look look at it from that perspective. It's almost like they're, like you said, pandering. It's almost like they're, they're pandering to family entertainment. Well, like I alluded to earlier, Freddy isn't really killing with the glove now. He's no. not. He's not slashing people, so there's no blood, or not right. a lot of blood. He's got he, now. He's turning people into insects, and you know, squashing them. And what's the other death? Oh, uh, uh, sucking the life out of somebody, so she just becomes a corpse. You know, there's not a lot of blood oh, yeah, and gore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. We've lost the edge. I think that's the trouble. There's no edge to it. That's it. And there you hit it. There you hit it. Yeah, it just feels very sanitized. I mean, it's fun in places. Don't get me wrong. But it feels like somebody who's seen a few Nightmare on Elm Street films and has gone, I can do a version of that, but I can, I've done a version that we can show before 10 o'clock in the evening on the telly. Yes. Yes. You exactly. Know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. It just feels that they're, they're very aware of their success and they're just going to exploit it. I mean, and that's what filmmakers do, studios do at the end of the day. You know, they're making money. They want to make money. And right. that's why this, up until Freddy vs. Jason, was the most successful one in the series. But it's only successful because it came off the back of a better film, which was part three. Yes. Yep, exactly. And as we will prove on the next show, it's all downhill after this. <laughs> so, based on that, I've given this film three sledgehammer in the ribs and fall over onto a duvet mattress out of five. <laughs> I've given it two sledgehammers. Two. You've gone two, yeah. I've gone three. Again, I've got a little, a little bit of that's nostalgia. Cause I do I gotcha. really remember watching. Yep, like yep. I said, I'm the Freddy fanboy. And yep. I don't think it's a bad film in terms of entertainment value, but if you've just come off the back of parts one and two and three, it's, it's a step down, a big step down. It is. Absolutely it is. So there you go. Well, that's Elm Street one to four done. That's it. So next time we're going to go for part five, The Dream Child. Jesus. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on that one. Wes Craven's New Nightmare. You can't wait to hear my thoughts on that one. And The Nightmare on Elm Street 2010 remake. Ooh. Ooh, Could be fun. Don't know where we're going to go. Could be. Yeah. Oh, well, we shall find out on the next show. But until then, we've got a little bit of feedback. Yes. Yes, we do. We got we got four four bits of feedback. Wow! Isn't that that's the most we've ever had? It is. Absolutely is. Well, you've got two and I've got two. So shall I read my first one? It's only a short one. Yeah. Go ahead. This is from a new listener whose name is Cliff Barnes, who I believe. Hi, Cliff. 
Hi, Cliff. I believe he was the uh, oil baron in Dallas. I bet he's never heard that one before. I'm, I'm only joking with you, Cliff. <laughs> anyway, let me read what he says. Hi, Chris and Myron. Looking forward to your Elm Street episode. My pro tip is to watch part two first and then treat the original as a prequel. Then you get Nancy back straight away for part three. But more importantly, it makes you less likely to consider any bollocks about part two breaking the rules. It was only part two. The rules hadn't been established yet. What I said. Yeah. But even more importantly, part two is the best of the whole series. Thanks to its oppressive, sweaty atmosphere, Christopher Young's genuinely creepy score and all that weird gay business. <laughs> Let me just stress that Cliff lives in Brighton. So when he says weird gay business, he's not being homophobic. Believe me. I gotcha. I gotcha. I've spent many weekends in Brighton and there was no weird gay business. Believe me. Anyway, that's my take. <laughs> I'll just... I'll just take the opportunity to plug my new horror podcast, Devil Times 5, available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher, and hope you get a chance to listen to our efforts. Catch you later, guys. Cheers, Cliff. Yes, I have listened to Devil Times 5. They did a show on about witches, which uh, I listened to at work yesterday, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I have subscribed. I, I too, have listened to it. I have not finished it yet, but uh, I, I uh, did listen to uh, and got a chuckle out of some of the uh, takes on the, uh, the Hoth. In witchery. Yes. As soon as they brought that up, I went Linda Blair and Hasselhoff in a film. Fantastic. I know. I think most of the crew agreed with my thoughts on it. It's not. It's a terrible film. No, no. But, uh, but they like Lords of Salem though, which is good. Yes, yes, yes. They they do a, a high and a low there, and uh, uh, one of the chaps on there mentioned um, love Lords of Salem and couldn't stand Thirty One. Right back at you, buddy. I'm with you. Well, I'm gonna. Well, I'll tell you now. I rewatched Thirty One the other week because I bought it on Blu-ray. And yeah, I'm gonna knock it down half a star. Bought it on Blu-ray. You know me and my obsession with Rob Zombie. Yes, yes. So I have yes, to have it. I've got it on yeah. Blu-ray. I've got it on an American DVD because you get the commentary, and I've got the UK DVD just because it's a UK DVD. I can play it anywhere I like. Oh God! I know, and I still th- I I do think it's Rob Zombie's worst film. Maybe not as bad as El Super Bisto, but uh, yeah, I've called on it a lot. I don't think it's very good. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's so uh, yeah. There we go. But anyway, yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Cliff. I should definitely be uh, listening to your second show when it comes out. And uh, nice to see you agreed with me about Nightmare on Elm Street too. Absolutely. Ah, fantastic. So why don't you read one of your emails, which happened to be a long one? I'm gonna have to. We're going to have to work this 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 long and short business out. I know. Hi, guys. Blue here with a bit of feedback on the first four Nightmare on Elm Street films. Hi, Blue. Hi, Blue. I should start with the first film, I suppose, although it wasn't the first I saw of the franchise. I didn't know what, what it was about this film, but I laughed pretty much all the way through it from the glove knife contraption, which gets used less and less during the franchise. Yeah, yeah, Chris, you, you made that exact point. Mm. So what's the point of having it? Well, I... I if he uses it less, I guess, what is the point? I don't know. Because in the beginning, it was cheap to make. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes, it's for the I can wiggle my fingers and look menacingly at the camera shot to how Fred runs like he's crapped himself to the point. Uh, let me just interject there. That was not Robert England in that shot that she's talking about. That was actually a dwarf who was dressed as Freddy because they wanted to get the perspective that he was of her at the front of the screen and him at the back of the screen. Hence why she, hence why she <laughs> runs into Robert England, Freddy, further down the alleyway. To the boyfriend getting belted by a flying teen in the bedroom after rather unconvincing <laughs> sex scene. <laughs> well, you don't see that much. You hear it more than you see it. 
Yeah, yeah. To the freaking my mates out at school by singing one, two, Freddy's coming for you at them as they insisted on sitting on the cold steps to the school's boiler room. I find myself shouting at the scream, just stab her quite a bit as Freddy does like to play with his food. Hmm. Also, Nancy had 20 minutes to rig up the booby traps. Yes, I said booby. Stop laughing. Of <laughs> course, it's always boobs. <laughs> we did say boobs. We talked about boobs. Yes. In a nurse uniform. Yeah. I was having, I was having a minute there. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, I don't need yeah, a minute. This and her mother fall asleep and get into the dream. I think she's part of the A team. Yeah, she does. They do I, tend to go to sleep pretty quickly in these films. <laughs> Saying all that, and for all of its simple, simpering teenage girls and cheesiness, I really like this film and give it a three and a half strippy jumpers out of five. Stripey, not not strippy, stripey. Stripey. See? Okay. See, she's getting in the spirit of it. Yeah, that's right. Well, I went with strippy because we talked about boobs and everything. Did you notice in the first film that Freddy doesn't have any stripes on his jumper, on the sleeves? I did not. It's the only one. There's no stripes on the sleeves. They're just plain oh, red. Stripey. Stripey jumpers. I forgot you guys. I was just thinking of jumping strippers. Now, see? Jumping strippers? You talk about, you know, boobs and I'm... Never mind. <laughs> Get on with it. I'm going. What can I say about Freddy's revenge other than I liked the possession aspect but couldn't understand why the guard dogs had human heads? They served no purpose and never yeah. showed up again. Uh, yeah. That's because of a shit special effect that didn't work. I'm not going to comment on Jesse talking about the PE teacher having a stick up his ass and then seeing said teacher in a gay bar. I'll let you put two and two together. That's the least of it. <laughs> I forgot about the stick up his ass. Oh, oh you petty <laughs> Was it the same stick that was in the dance scene? Could be. I don't know. I really should like this film as it has factors like possession and the slasher killer that I like in a film, but there just wasn't enough slashing for me. So two stripey jumpers out of five. Whoa. Oh, controversial. Ooh. Wasn't the barbecue scene. There's enough slashing there. Yeah. Ah, wow. We differ big on this. One. Freddy three, the dream warriors was my favorite of the franchise. Okay. I, you know what? I, I can get that. I've heard that before. Actually. It is generally seen as the, the fan favorite. Yeah. Number yeah. Three. yeah. Even with the extra sippering or cheesy teenagers. I love the kills. The story came into its own. Shame it took three films to get there, though. If then spoiled itself by having superhero dream people, I mean, come on, Wizard Master. Well, yeah, we kind of, yeah, kind of, you know, pointed that out. I found myself shouting, just dispatch them no quicker. If this aspect had been left out, it would have gotten a five for me, but it really spoiled it. So just four strippy jumpers out of five. <laughs> <laughs> I like strippy jumpers out of five. Strippy, okay, you can say strippy jumpers. <laughs> Freddy four, nope. Yeah, that's kind of what we said. Mm. That's what it should have been called. I was put off by, <laughs> by the dog with the severe urinary tract infection pissing <laughs> on his grave. And by this point, Robin England made a more menacing woman than he did psychotic dead brought back to life child killer. Yes, there's a scene in number four where he plays the nurse. Yes, yes. Yeah. It was all karate. Ch yes, there is. I forgot about that with the big glasses, the school nurse. Actually. That's it. Yeah. It was all karate chops and more flying through mirrors with no sign of the previous storyline or very little of it. It was just bring me more kids to kill a sign that Freddy is either getting lazy or entertaining retirement. Please, God, let it be so. But like every slasher franchise, I'll see you guys in the next installment. Best wishes, Blue.
I, I think we're on the same page with Blue Wolf except for number two. You missed a line out. You missed a line out at the bottom. Oh, shit. Um, okay, I forgot to rate Freddy 4. It gets just one strippy jumper and a rather limp piece of wool hanging from the sleeve out of Oh, something limp hanging from the sleeve. Oh. Blue, you filthy minx. That's right. <laughs> it said minx. You rampant hussy. <laughs> Alrighty then. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, yeah. Shares our thoughts on number four. Um, although I think I probably liked it a bit more than she did. I, 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 I was surprised at number two. I would have thought that above all people, Blue would have really laughed at number two. Out of everybody we have double entendre chats with on Twitter, I thought Blue would be the one that loved, lapped all that up. But there you go. Yeah, I, I, I did too. Exactly. I, I, I actually thought so too. Well, stuff you if you're going to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking with you. Ugh. All right, you go on then. Oh, I shall read my next one. My, it's from our friend Foster, 12 Trees. Hey, Foster. He sneaked this one into me just before we came on to record. So I'm reading it for the first time as as I go through, and I've just seen his PS at the bottom. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> Dear chaps. When considering my Mount Rushmore of horror movie icons, the deliciously disfigured face of Freddy Krueger would most certainly occupy a prime position, alongside Michael Myers, Pinhead, Leatherface and Jason Voorhees. Yep. As a youth of the 80s, The Omen, Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street were my first exposure to American horror films. Ooh, The Omen. Pretty same with me, yes. Up until then, I had been raised on a steady diet of hammer horror. Yep. For me, films such as these generated a lifelong love of the horror genre. We are kindred spirits, Mr. Twelve Trees. A Nightmare on Elm Street revolves around the supernatural child murder of Fred Krueger, who is able to kill his victims from within their dreams. The victims are not random, but the children of the vigilante parents who burnt Krueger to death. The notion of dreams coming true is given a perverse twist in the way Krueger is able to encroach the slumber of his victims to exact his revenge. Certainly, one of the major strengths of the film is how the real world and the world of dreams is convoluted. Mm Mm-hmm. The cast all play their roles well. Heather Langenkamp is suitably fresh-faced and innocent as Nancy. Indeed, her character can be viewed as an early template for Kirsty Cotton from the Hellraiser films. Yeah. We also get a young Jonathan Depp in his first movie role as Nancy's boyfriend. Despite only being in the film for seven and a half minutes, Robert England is excellent as Fred Krueger. His performance is truly terrifying and I feel owes a great deal to the Max Shrek vampire in Nosferatu. Yeah, that's a good point. Also, I'm confident that both of you will agree that one can never get enough John Saxon. Indeed, indeed. Absolutely. I like it in part three. It says special appearance by John Saxon. And I put out, <laughs> I put out on Twitter, surely they're all special. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, this first instalment of the franchise is a superb masterclass in horror movie making, as it skillfully exploits the worst fears of the audience. The atmosphere of the film, particularly the murky boiler room sequence, is tense and creepy. As with most most franchises, the first Nightmare on Elm Street was the high point in the series, as the subsequent films were of questionable quality. Certainly Wes Craven was a true craftsman and will be sorely missed. Can't argue with that. Best wishes to you both, your friend Foster Troll, Twelve Trees. P.S. Ryan Reynolds. One for gore blimey there, I think. That's right. Cheers, Foster. Yep, agree with that. Um... (laughs) There is an argument for the first film being the best in the series, and it probably is. It's not my favourite, but it could be the best. Yeah, and say Wes Craven, he, he created something that was genius, and it was it was the potential of where it could go. 
that was the real um, heart of the film, I think. Um, unfortunately, yep. it didn't quite go the places it should have gone. But, uh, yeah, there we go. How much of that and why do you think Wes Craven sold the rights to Freddie to the producer, John Shea? Bob Shea, because he needed Bob. the money. Gotcha. I think, and Wes Craven's always said he didn't expect there to be sequels. He thought it was just going to be a one-film thing. Job done. He went on to make Hills Have Eyes Part 2 after that, and he said he made that just for the money, because he just his last two films hadn't done particularly well, and he was running out of steam, basically. So uh had to do something. you got to work. So I gotcha. I gotcha. If, uh, you know, if Bob Shea was dangling, oh, well, I don't know what it was, but however many thousands of dollars in front of him and said, I'll buy that off you for, for this amount of money, and there you go, you take it, don't you? Yep, yep, yep. So if that's the case, how did Wes come back? Well, you know what? We'll talk about that when we get there. It's a bit similar to part three because he wrote part. Uh, he was joint writer on part three. I think it's just the fact that New Line wanted to use him because he was the originator of the series. It's the same okay. way that they keep going back to Carpenter for Halloween and they go back to Hooper for Texas Chainsaw. Yep, yep, yep. Gotcha. It's just, gotcha. it's just that he was, Wes Craven was offered part two and he read the script and said no. Gotcha, gotcha. So he passed it up for Hills Have Eyes too, but there you go. Right, do you want to read the last email? All right, so I got a little piece of feedback from our friend Amanda over at the Made for TV Mayhem podcast. Hi, Amanda. Give that one a listen. It, it talks about TV movies, a lot of TV horror movies that really are, are really good that we've forgotten about. I want Amanda to watch Combat Academy now. Because <laughs> she mentioned Robert Culp on Twitter the other day, and I said, whenever I think of Robert Culp, I think of him in Combat Academy. And she said, oh, that's a TV movie, but she's never seen it. So watch it, Amanda. It's an early George Clooney. There's a TV movie Amanda hasn't seen? Yeah, it's not horror, though, so I'm, uh, I'll, I'll let her off that. Yeah, yeah but Amanda knows... Retro TV period. I mean, we've talked about her and I have talked about on Twitter, Love Boat, Fantasy Island, things like that. So Combat Academies, Robert Culp, George Clooney, and Keith Gordon in a Police Academy ripoff. Oh God, help us! Okay, I quite like it. It's just it's crap, but it's fun. Okay, I got you. All right, hi guys. Yay for covering Nightmare on Elm Street series. Boo for getting the best four out of the way first. I'm not sure how you'll get through parts five and six. Best of luck. Well, Amanda, I've never seen them. This may be a chore. Well, sometimes it's those oddities that are the most fun to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a pretty big Wes Craven fan. Generally regarded as a hit and miss director, I think even he, his misses can be pretty interesting, mostly because they seem to have weird energy to them, and he's great with creating likable characters. I think, yeah, I think he's always interesting. Not always good, but always interesting. Yes, yes. So I'm always up for checking out whatever he did, although I did skip out of my soul to take because even I have boundaries. Well, I haven't seen that. I, I've got it. I've never watched it. I, I, I've seen it, and you're probably okay never seeing it. Okay. I will watch it, because it's Wes Craven, but I just haven't got to it yet. Gotcha. When he passed away, the Alamo Draft House here in Austin put together a little tribute for him and screened a few of his films. I'm always jealous of people who live around Alamo Draft House. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was only able to get to the Nightmare on Elm Street screening, and it was totally great to see it on the big screen. I first caught it as a late-night movie on a local station when I was a teenager. It scared the shit out of me. I personally still think it holds weight, although the people we went with were less impressed, which made me sad. I, I can get that. I can get that. And it does still hold weight. I, I think Chris yeah. and I can agree on that. Yeah. There are so many layers so many layers to the film, including anxiety about outside evils encroaching upon su suburban utopias, 
a common theme in Craven works. I never thought about that, but I think she's kind of hit that one. Hmm. As well as the inadequacy and narcissism of so-called authority figures being able to take care of their young. So it's still really intriguing and suspenseful film for me. The second film is also compelling, but obviously for different reasons. <laughs> to be honest, I did not pick up on any of the homosexual subtext until many years after I first saw it, probably in the mid-90s. You and most of the cast <laughs> and most of New Line Cinema. Yeah. What struck me most about the second film, which I saw after parts three and four, was that it didn't have much of a jokey tone. Uh, we agree. Yeah. And despite being all over the map, it tried to keep Freddy scary. But my favorite part is when Freddy comes into the real world at the pool party. There you go. And there's the one guy who's all trying to be the peacekeeper and says something like, we can just, <laughs> we just want to talk, man. It's okay. And then Freddy slices him. That guy is at every party and he's annoying. It still cracks me up every time I watch it. <laughs> as for the subtext, I'm sure you'll cover this in your podcast as I don't have much to add on the subject. I will say I did get to see this on the big screen too. And in a clue Gallagher retrospective, I love that man. He is awesome in this movie. He plays the dim-witted father to a T. He's great in every film. <laughs> oh, oops. I hit my mouse and scrolled up. Yeah. Hang on. My computer's having a bit of a glitch. Do you want me to continue? Yes. Okay. And Robert Russler and Clue were there, joking about the film and making the whole thing even more fun than it usually is. This is one of my favourite entries in the series. It's so 80s and fun and weird. Yeah, it's one of those films, if you watch it in a crowd and everything, it'd be fantastic. Oh my god. Can you imagine now going to a big screen with a bunch of horror lovers? Oh, Jesus, oh, that would be fun. awesome. Great fun. So, are you ready to continue or do you want me to continue? I, I got it back. Okay. It, it, it would be great, to be honest. I would love to take a group of people and make sure Mr. Gore Blimey was in that group to go see this movie. <laughs> what are you saying? I'm not saying anything. I just want to watch this movie with Gore Blimey and listen to all of his his double entendres, but with his absolute British sense of manners. He is... <laughs> I love are you, are you suggesting that Gore Blimey's gay? No, I'm telling you. Is he? Well, he kept that quiet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he did. Ryan I didn't Reynolds. think he was. I knew his boyfriend was, but I didn't think he was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. God. You he would bet be a... he is. Oh, God. Dream Warriors is amazing. I really love that they brought Nancy back and gave her a lot to work with. Uh, agreed. The premise about the kids in the hospital trying not to dream was really well done, and if memory serves... There's some really good effects in there. Your memory serves you well. Yep. I remember when I first saw the scene where Freddie pulls out the kids' veins and uses them as puppet strings. I was so grossed out and upset. And like the first two films, I think Dream Warriors keeps it consistent without having with having a lot of likable or interesting characters peppered throughout the movie. Although I always see this as a as Nancy's film. And hey, who doesn't want to be bad and beautiful? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And as you may have guessed, I really love the fourth film as well. Of course you do, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> the one everyone hates. Of course you do. This was the first nightmare film I saw on the big screen during the, its original run, and I loved it. But I think the issue is that in the third film, Freddy became kind of a comic, which comes across even more so here. So he goes from terrifying to the guy you want to get a beer with on a Friday night. It, yes. 
But the appropriate dream, like special effects, and a kick-ass final girl, and she really is, really make it work. And literally a kick-ass final girl. Mm. Also, I love that they deal with her grief as her friends die, and I love that she absorbs the best parts of their personality. Yeah, okay. In some ways, it's kind of a moving film. Plus, oh my god, Andres Jones and Danny Hassel are ridiculously hot. Yay, I love this one. Particularly (laughs) hot. Can't act for shit. As a quick aside, I I got to see Peter Jackson speak at Peter Jackson speak at Fangoria convention many moons ago. He was promoting The Frighteners, another film I love, and he spoke about the story for a nightmare sequel he was asked to write. Yes, that's right. His his story was something to the effect of the kids being a bit world-weary and aware of Freddy, but not afraid of him since he'd lost some power at that point. So the kids actually started taking barbiturates so they could go to sleep, go into the dream world, and beat up Freddy. Eventually, Freddy is able to kill one of the kids and got some of his power back. But now the teenagers are addicted to barbiturates and can't avoid sleeping. I really wish that this had been made. And maybe you guys will have already talked about this, so sorry if I'm repeating anything. We did not talk about it, Amanda. It is in the Never Sleep Again documentary. They show some some, uh, sort of script lines from it, yes. I do, I'm aware of that one. Why didn't they make that movie? Oh my god, why didn't they make that movie? Because it probably would have been too expensive to do. Man, that, that really, uh, that really, uh, man, I like the sound of that. Anyways, can't wait to hear the episode. Your Pumpkinhead episode was a blast, but Myra never said sweet baby Jesus, and that left a hole in my heart. I don't think I said it on this one either, Amanda. I am so sorry. You did, you just said it then. There you go, that's right. <laughs> but I will say this, just for Amanda, the dog pissing on my couch. I said, sweet baby Jesus, what the fuck? So. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, brilliant. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you, Amanda. Glad you like the pumpkin head episode. Yes, yes, yes. And Ed Halley. <laughs> well, that's uh, one and four done and dusted. One and four done and dusted. So uh, we've gone on. I think this could be our longest show, you know. I think it could. Yeah, we've definitely hit over two hours once I put the, everything in. Yeah, like I said, this is the uh, the first three films in this franchise are very very dear to me, and it is. I say it's my. I'm the fanboy here, so I will gladly rattle on about Nightmare on Elm Street for ages. It, the first three are are good solid films. Yeah, so uh, I'm look really looking forward to the next show because I don't know how you're going to handle the next few. Films. Oh God. We shall see. We shall see. And I think you may be pleasantly surprised by some of the things I may dig up on it. So, but I'm going to rewatch them because I haven't watched them for a while. Okay. I'm going to watch them for the first time and I most assuredly am going to watch Nightmare Never Sleeps again. Yes. Do watch that. I will say now, if you're in the UK, there is a very good Blu-ray box set that contains all of the, uh, original run of Nightmare Elm Street films, all the Robert England ones. So it's available for probably about 20 quid now. Okay. I know in the U.S. you can't get a Blu-ray box set. I don't know anything about it, but I saw it in Best Buy. It's about 44 bucks. The one in the U.K. has got a f- – only the first one comes with loads of extras. The first film's got, like, documentaries and all sorts about it. But the other films do come with, like, those little 10-minute making of featurettes and all that sort of stuff. So. Oh, very cool. And the Dock and Music video as well. <laughs> of course. Is it the uh, – is it Into the Fire or their Dream Warrior one? Dream Warriors. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, so it's a good set if you want to get them on Blu-ray, but they're available on DVD pretty cheaply everywhere else. So, uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, go and gorge yourself on some Freddy. But next time, we'll be tackling 5, 6, 7, and 8, as we, I'm calling them now. 
and we'll see you then. So I think it's time we say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, I had the most awful dream. Lane, where do you keep the bourbon? I'll be right down. Chris, I've got a guest. Please, Mom, I just don't want to be alone. I said, where's the fucking bourbon? You should listen to your mother. God damn it, Kristen, you ruin everything. Every time I bring a man home, you spoil it. You know what your shrink says? You're just trying to get a little attention.